is Radio Universe. My name, of course, is Warren Johnson. Well, super nerdy pet peeve uh, of mine, nitpicky. I don't think he should have been hopping over the top rope like a parkour champion. You got me mad now. What is your name? As always, with my man, man, pots and pans, Nick Bacone. That's me. I don't really know us like you think that you do. I'm Ryan Isley. What is he oh doing? God. Is he the third man? He's the third man. What the hell is going on here? Straight Shooters is, the, I believe, the number one show on Wildfire Radio. I'm feeling good. No sleep, no food, no nothing. Just maniacism. Well, the skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry. What actually happened on the show? Nothing. Give me a hell yeah! I said give me a hell yeah! What's up, ladies and gentlemen? I'll be My name is... Johnson, and I'm joined as always by my main man, Pots and Pants, Nick McCone, the Philly voice and Philly influencer, and you're listening to episode 240, you gotta say 40 like that, you can't say 40, 240 of the Straight Shooters on a whole plethora of platforms all over the internet. Before we get into what we're going to talk about on episode 240, I got to talk to my main man, Pots and Pants, I got to check in with him. Nick, how you doing tonight on this fine evening, fine Thursday evening here in Philadelphia? Have you ever watched Whose Life Is It Anyway, Vaughn? I have. It's a great show. I am hooked again. I was hooked before, but I'm hooked again. And uh, I've been nonstop binging it for the last couple days. So um, a lot of laughs have been had the last few days. And uh, it's just cracking me up right now. HBO Max, by the way. That's, that is that uh, is where I'm watching it. Uh decided to try that out. And then... Once I saw whose line is it anyway was on there, I just let the trial expire and subscribe to it, and uh, I've been watching that ever since. And it's such a great show, man. Just crack cracks me up every time. That yeah, I haven't watched it. In a while. I know Aisha Tyler's hosting it now. Yeah, the uh, new one. Yeah, back in the day. But yeah, so that's what you've been up to. <laughs> that is basically that has basically been my week. <laughs> I have been watching Ninety Day Fiance which is fantastic I've, television. I've heard uh, good things about that, and I actually started DVRing it, but uh, it just didn't, I didn't fit it into my schedule, and I haven't watched Man, it yet. You got to find a way. 90-day <laughs> fiancé. And hey, it's got, like, it's like I, multiple segments, like or multiple, mm-hmm. uh, I want to say, uh, spinoffs of 90-day fiancé. You got 90-day fiancé before the 90 days. You got 90-day fiancé the other way, where... Well, before the 90 days is when they meet up before, I guess, when, when the first in a relationship for the 90 day period when the person comes to America and they got 90 days before they get married. So you got 90 day fiance, I think, where that's during the point where they're, they're, they're during the 90 days. So you got before the 90 days and you got regular old 90 day fiance, which I believe is during the 90 day period where someone is over here, I think, on a K-1 visa and they have 90 days to get married, well, that person has to go back to their country. <laughs> then you got 90-day fiancé happily ever after, where that's where after the 90 days, they've been married, and you, you 
see their life after that. So you have people who probably are all three of those. Then you got 90 Day Fiance the other way. We have somebody from our country, United States of America, going overseas to, you know, somewhere else to be with somebody. So it's a legit, like, at least three, like, three or four different types of 90 Day Fiance. And I watch probably all of them. <laughs> like, like Jeez, one comes that on sounds Sunday. like the WWE pay-per-view schedule of two years ago when they had a pay-per-view every two weeks. That is much. too it's, much it's, TV for me. Listen, I know I don't like to keep up with WWE's, all their television content. Cause it's, <laughs> don't blame know, me. It's, it's a lot, but 90 Day Fiance, for whatever reason, I'm hooked. And now, they don't run them all at the same time. No, that's the thing. They don't run them all at the same time. But I, I am watching them consecutive days. I think right now there's on Sunday, there is, well, Monday for sure. Well, Sunday, I think, is the other way, right? I think. Because I, I know there's, there's people who are going overseas. And you got another one where I think is, oh, I can't remember there's so many. It's confusing. I can't remember them all. I, I have used a meme uh, that I've that was from 90 Day Fiance, but I have not yet watched it. I used a meme of like the big the big guy, I guess. I don't, I don't even know his name. The big but the, guy. The long black hair. <laughs> the big guy. <laughs> Ryback. <laughs> no, okay, but yeah, cool. I, so, I, I have used a, a meme here and there, but um, I... I saw clips too, like on Twitter, they'll post clips and uh, I have seen it through that. So that's when I decided to DVR it, but I just haven't been able to watch it. So I think with your, you basically just kind of sold me on it. So when it has the Vaughn Johnson rub, I'm going to have to watch it. All right. So Sunday right now is happily ever after, question mark. Uh, That's the one with Colt. He is a... I used to terrible, do a show on terrible. the WB, didn't it? Happily ever. He after. is a terrible, terrible human being. Uh, <laughs> Great. So not a fan of Colt. And then on Monday is, I guess, before the ninety days. No, it's the other one. That's the new one. Oh, they got new before the ninety days too. Oh, that's the ninety days <laughs> that, that strike back. Thing. No, scratch that. The one to watch though is the other way. Is when the people from here go overseas. Mm. So you got Sunday, happily ever after. Monday, the other way. I'm into it. But before this, before those two shows started up around the same time, it was 90 Day Fiance before the 90 Days. And that was, that was interesting too. I was watching that. So a lot of 90 Day Fiance, man. I, I'm into my trash TV. I'm yeah, sorry. Apparently there's a new episode tomorrow night. I'm Is checking, it? I'm, I'm looking at the Xfinity schedule right now. It's, it doesn't have a date though, so it might be a repeat. But, I have uh, no idea. Yeah, that's that's What's funny stuff. Friday? Yeah, yeah. It goes head to head with SmackDown. Oh, well, I don't know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and it's funny because it's on TLC, and my mom always used to watch that show. Uh, I don't remember the. Show. It was when the my, the five, what was it like eight hundred, six hundred pound life or something like that. Yeah, six hundred pound life. Yeah, yep. Yeah, so she would watch that, and my dad, and it was one of her favorite shows, and. Uh, so that's the only show I knew of on TLC until, you know, a few weeks ago. So I've, I've watched that a few times. It's it could be very sad to see people right. going through that. Um, yeah. And my girlfriend, she's a big fan of Dr. Pickle Popper, which is on there, which I find just <laughs> horrific to watch. That... I just don't have the stomach for it. She loves it. <laughs> I've known multiple, multiple people that love the Pickle Popper show. Me, when I see people get, they, get the stuff that's with, wrong with them or they get like the thing popped or the, the stuff's oozing out of this yeah i just can't like, i don't like it like 
I don't see it, it could be a little fascinating from the yeah. standpoint of like, wow, look at what's in your body. But I don't find entertainment out of it. Like <laughs> people really <laughs> enjoy watching it. I just do not. It's bizarre to me. I mean, I probably would find some entertainment in it, but uh, I don't have I don't have a weak stomach, so I could probably watch things like that without even thinking twice. I don't have a weak stomach either. Like I, I don't mind gore. Like I watch movies, horror movies, and I'm all about it. But like <laughs> that that show is just like oh oh god oh uh, and I just like I got to turn away. Like it's, much it's like horrible. a lot of uh, wrestling today. Yeah, yeah. Speaking <laughs> of horrible. Uh, if in case you ha- uh, didn't know, uh, a good portion, not all of it, I guess, that would be painting a very broad brush that's probably unfair, but, I mean, a lot of things are happening that are unfair right now, but a good portion of the wrestling business is awful. Um, and we'll talk about the, uh, we talked about it last week with the hashtag speaking out movement where people victims of sexual assault, sexual misconduct have come out and uh, told their stories and named names. And people have had to be held accountable. They've had to uh, they've apologized and in some cases are like pretty much blackballed from the business, at least, you know, in the public side. Uh, you know, people don't want nothing to do with them. So we'll talk about that a little bit more because a lot more has come out about that since um, we last recorded. Uh, it's been a crazy week. If you if you hadn't been paying attention, uh, we're also going to talk about we're going to talk a little bit about this at least um, wrestling fandom and kind of like our evolution of wrestling fandom over the years from childhood when you first become a fan to adulthood where we are now, both in our thirties. Some could say that we're jaded as wrestling mm-hmm. fans now. I'll admit that that I'm probably yeah. yeah. Definitely more jaded than when I was when I was 12. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit. And we're also going to finish up our Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat series by live commentating the last chapter of that epic trilogy in 1989 with Wrestle War 89 back on May 7th, 1989. As I said before, <laughs> in the um, Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair war title match where they had the, the judges and all that. So, we're going to live commentate that. So, yeah, we got a busy, busy show. We got a lot of show to do. I know we spent probably 10, 15 minutes talking about 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> you didn't, is, didn't think that was going to happen, but you never know what's going to happen on the straight shooters. Exactly, man. We're like the you WWF know, in 1995. We, me and Nick, believe it or not, Nick and I, we have other interests outside of wrestling. <laughs> I know that might seem crazy <laughs> for some wrestling fans out there. They'd be like, what? You watch other things besides pro wrestling? It's all I watch. no. I watch other things, so um, yeah, we're gonna uh, we might spend a little bit of time on ninety day fiance, and we might we will uh, we will have a future episode on the wing bowl, as I mentioned last week too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I confirmed. I look. I found my credentials from the two years that I covered <laughs> it. It was twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen. So hmm. when we talk about it, I'm gonna wear those credentials. And we're gonna have nice. a conversation. That's about right. the ring ball because it deserves a deep dive. Like I said, we we gotta have somebody from WIP on here, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's Spike or whether it's uh, Turtle or I don't know who else who else is affiliated that we know or somebody that can have a share with us in our ring ball memories. I don't um, think Bill Matz was part of the team back then, but you know, maybe he knows some things too. 
Right. You know, or, um, yes, yeah, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> There's somebody out there who knows, uh, something. <laughs> you know, maybe Ava least. Graham. Don't forget yeah. about Ava Graham. Yeah. Billy matches, uh, fiance? Are they, are they yeah, yet? fiance, yeah. Okay. I didn't know they were engaged. I didn't know they were married yet. We're, we're not breaking news. Don't worry. <laughs> well, no, I'm just no. I didn't we, know if they were we married. Yet. I didn't want to say fiance. They've already been married. Ava's not listening and be like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but um, yeah, congratulations to them again. Um, they are. I think this time Ava had posted on Facebook, friends with her, that uh, she had proposed to him first, actually, and then he turned it around and proposed to her. You know, after the during the virus pandemic or whatever, right. so it's a good love story. Those two lovebirds. Hey, you gotta, you gotta get it where you can, man. Yeah, do, yeah. do what you gotta do. Yeah. So uh, we'll have somebody on here to talk about the wedding at some point in the future. But tonight we're gonna talk about those things. And oh, by the way, let's not forget we're still in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> okay, but it looks like WWE forgot yeah. until recently. Yeah, it's like they just kind of put up a uh, this I don't even know what to call it but it's almost like they didn't think it was important enough to really do anything about but whatever well in case you missed it folks uh, a bunch of people from WWE that were at the performance center for their tapings recently over the you know last couple of weeks and months uh, while they've been taping at the WWE performance center in Orlando uh Tested positive for COVID-19, a bunch of staff members, including uh, Renee Young, who put out a tweet, which was like, oh, it's heartbreaking. Where the show backstage got canceled. I guess, I don't know if it's fully canceled forever, but they definitely, they're putting a halt to it, right? Because Fox is, at least. Um, But the show gets canceled, back WWE backstage, and, oh, by the way, she's tested positive for COVID, which also might affect... AEW, because mm-hmm. guess who is married to the AEW world champion? Brody Lee. What? <laughs> Good. Is Brody Lee married to John Moxley? <laughs> no. <laughs> what? You threw me off there. I, I was not I expecting thought, that. Well, I thought you were going to say Renee Young is married too, and then that's why I said Brody Lee, but you went the other way. <laughs> I had to go a quick Google. I don't know if you heard my keyboard going. I had to do a quick Google search to make sure John Moxley didn't use the AEW title, and I missed it for some reason. I'm, pretty, I'm like, I didn't miss that, right? That's crazy. Um, but no. So, yeah, she's married to John Moxley. I'm going to um, edit that out, so go ahead and do it again. No, no, no. It's fine. We're leaving it. We're leaving it. It's just... <laughs> We're leaving it. Um, but... You know, obviously there's people who are have relationships back and forth with both promotions, so maybe both promotions are in jeopardy. But for sure, WWE is in jeopardy because they weren't testing anyone until recently. And it's like, what the hell, WWE? Y'all just acting like this wasn't a big deal, especially where you are in Florida, where they're having like a second wave now because they opened up back on Memorial Day, which is like the crazy thing about it's been over a month. It's like, wait a second. Opened up <laughs> yeah, back on exactly. Memorial Day. We're here almost exactly. in July. We haven't fully opened up back yet again here in Philly. But the whole state of Florida is like, nope, we're back open. So WWE not taking apparently not enough precautions. And because no, they weren't even doing testing. How and I don't like. I think both companies should have shut it down. But you have to say at least AEW was doing the testing, even though that doesn't make them 
any better for continuing to do the shows, but at least they were testing every single person every single week. WWE was not, and that's ridiculous. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. At least once, right? <laughs> like, yeah. At some point during the process, and WWE ain't like they got they don't have political pool down in Florida because they do have political pool mm-hmm. down in Florida. That's part of the reason why they're there, <laughs> yeah. and the performance center is there. So there's there's no way they couldn't have gotten people tested. That's not the thing they could have done to make sure that happened. I mean, it doesn't seem like this would have been too much to ask for WWE, and it just they just haven't and. Now, they risk people's lives as a result. Because I don't understand, like, people are young and they're in good shape. So, they, there's a good chance of them surviving and being okay. And they might not even have to go to the hospital. But you just never know. And even know? when they brought in friends and family the last couple of weeks, not all of them were young. Now, I, I saw a few older people in the crowd there. Especially that first day. I was like, wait, that person doesn't look familiar. And it looked like it was a guy in his 50s or 60s. Like, come on, what are you doing? How about somebody in their 70s? Like, you know, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Right, yeah. That doesn't, <laughs> like, yeah. We're, we're not even, we're, we're talking about, you know, I wasn't even talking about talent, but you have talent that's been there that is in the 70s, like you just said, Ric Flair. Yeah. And this, and this by the way, this goes for both promotions. Uh, they just kept on trucking in a very, in a, in a state, both in Florida, where, they opened up very quickly, and who knows what's happening right now in Florida. It's, 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 they're having, like, record numbers every day. Um, so, y'all got to be careful down there. AEW and WWE, y'all, people literally, people's lives are at stake. This isn't like yeah. they just get sick and you want, there's 100,000 people that have died from this, unfortunately. This is terrible. And it's like, they just like they just kept on trucking, like, ho-hum, nothing is wrong. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll be all right. You got to get this content out, though. Yeah, they like and they throw it out like uh, our our biggest um, goal is entertaining the fans. Like, no, the hell it's not because you haven't been entertaining us for years. And you haven't built stars. <laughs> like, if if fans were really your, um, you know, you cared about them that much, you'd be creating stars for us to you know fall in love with and stuff. So, don't give me that crap. And, and is anybody really sitting back saying like, man, I'm. Sh- I don't know what I would do if WWE wasn't on the air right now. <laughs> There's absolutely nobody doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness WWE still giving me that weekly content. Boy, oh boy, I don't know what I would do. Because I'm sure, I mean, we said it from the very beginning. WWE just shut it down for a while. If they had shut it down for a little bit, figured out some protocols, got people tested, came back safely, maybe we wouldn't be in a situation. But they didn't do that. They just kept on trucking. And it just... That's why we're here now. Yeah. Meanwhile, every other major sports entity shut it down completely. Like, I mean, NBA, people didn't want to see the NBA go away. Are you serious? People are stressing out without the NBA right now. We should have we should have just recently, a couple weeks ago, crowned an, a new NBA champion, or maybe around this point, crowned a new NBA champion. Instead, we will have to wait another couple months because they haven't resumed the season yet still. We're here almost in July. Hockey playoffs, haven't seen that. That's the best time of the year to watch hockey, in my opinion. <laughs> ain't Nothing. wrong. Ain't wrong. And the Flyers are hot. The Flyers yeah. look like a real contender by that point. I was ready. I was ready. And then 
gone. And it's like, <laughs> bro, I would love nothing more to see hockey, ha- has seen basketball, has seen March Madness. People forget about that. Like that, just, uh, that just went away. Yeah. Uh, the SW tournament. I would have loved nothing more than to see all of that. I would love nothing more to have been, you know, at the draft this year for the NFL. I was supposed to go to the draft. Full disclosure, for work. I was supposed to go to Vegas and be at the oh. draft. I would have loved. I've never been to Vegas. I would have loved that, but that didn't happen because the pandemic broke out. Okay, we all, you know, we'll adjust. But WWE, you're not that essential. But yet, you know, because Florida said they were for whatever reason. I'm not going <laughs> to speculate as to why. Um, here we are. And it's like, bro, you gotta, you gotta stop. You gotta shut it down. Figure out, you know, figure out the proper protocols. You see how all these other leagues are taking months, weeks. To figure it out, and they may not even have it fully figured out. It may not even work. There's no guarantee that it would even work once they start back up. But they're taking so much painstaking time to make sure that they're, you know, at the very least, they're trying. Even if it doesn't work, they are trying. They're putting so much effort. At WWE is putting, and it, I don't, maybe AEW too, because I'm not super familiar with what they have done. But they just kept on moving throughout this. So, again, not absolving them from any of this at all, too, because they, like it's, again, kept on moving and act, went along like, you know, business as usual. Same for UFC as well. And they didn't, you know, at least specifically WWE, didn't do all the painstaking time to make sure everybody was safe. And this is what happened. This is what you don't want to happen. <laughs> Literally what you don't want to happen is what's happening. Even in baseball, you see a couple of teams, including the Phillies, have had people in Florida test positive without no games, no practices, no none of that. <laughs> like None of those things happen. People will test positive. So again, it's just WWE. You gotta be more careful, man. You gotta, you gotta have responsibility for your wrestlers, your staff, and their families to make sure that everybody's, everybody's good, everybody's safe. And you're almost in a way wish that they took these precautions back in March when they shut everything down. And I think the first episode of Raw in the Performance Center was the Steve Austin 316 day or whatever. And ever, you know, you read some of the things that, you know, they weren't taking these precautions and then, oh, they were just doing temperature checks and all that. And it's like, and and then weeks later, we start seeing Florida become a hotspot. More cases here, more cases there. It's like, uh, why not just get out in front of it when you, you they have the ability to do that? It, like money is not an issue for them. So if it was about the testing and the money uh, going to testing and how much it would cost, like they should have just done it. They should have bought the test somehow. And I know there was a testing issue, you know, a few months ago, but there seemingly hasn't been you know a shortage of tests that there were back then. Um, you know, that just seems like they did everything ass backwards. And I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm not that surprised because that's just seemingly how this company has been the last few years, if not longer, uh, it's just ass backwards in, in terms of how they do things. And we've seen, you know, on social media, how some of the people that, that probably are under contract to WWE are reacting to this, that they're just so fed up with the inconsistent leadership and they have no clue what's going on, and it's confusion about confusion about confusion. That's not fair to anybody that works for WWE. So I don't, I don't know how the people that are 
working there right now can really trust the leadership at this point. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to speak out publicly against WWE. I don't expect them to because, again, they get paid by WWE. They sign their checks, but I'd be upset about yeah. WWE. I, yeah. I mean, I would have been upset, but, you know, you're doing your job. You're, you're making your money. Uh, you're happy that they didn't let you go. You know, like, yeah. cause remember that happened, too. They had laid off a bunch of people, so you're just happy to have a job. Imagine Roman Reigns being released because he went home. How <laughs> oh, that would yeah. go over. It turns out Roman Reigns, we praise him pretty much weekly now. Roman Reigns made the right decision in staying home. Yeah. Not just for himself, but also his family. Because apparently, I didn't know he had baby. He had twins recently. Yeah. She's like, yeah, stay home and take care of your babies and prevent them from being... Because obviously, when you're Possibly an infant, exposed, yeah. you're very susceptible to any type of germ, mm-hmm. let alone COVID. I mean, you know, that'd be terrible if yeah. something like that happened to the little baby. So, Roman Reigns, again, hats off to you. You made the right decision. See, I got Sammy Zayn staying at home and being stripped of the title on the bump this past week. Kevin Owens decided to stay home from Raw after that first positive COVID test was made public. And he said on the bump that, you know, he told them he wasn't coming and he didn't get any pushback from that. Um, I don't know how much of that is him telling the truth and how much of that is him just trying to, you know, save face for his employer. But I would hope that he would be telling the truth and that anybody that has decided to stay home is not receiving any blowback and will not receive blowback when they return in a normal capacity. Let's hope that's the case. But, you know, wrestling business is a nice way to transition to our next topic here. The wrestling business isn't always a great place because as we've talked about last week and we've learned and some graphic detail and about more people in the, in the week since we last recorded. Uh, there's a lot of seedy, unsavory, uh, unlikable, and just downright terrible people in the wrestling business. Uh, and if you are unaware, all you got to do is look up hashtag speaking out and click that hashtag and you'll find a myriad of stories about probably some of your favorites. Because I'm sure Joey Ryan was one of your favorites. Uh, but he's essentially been, you know, canceled. And, you know, I know <laughs> people love cancel culture, and he was literally leading a faction in Impact Wrestling called Cancel Culture, right? Which is like, yeah, kind of making fun of cancel culture, right? Well, the irony—he's canceled now. But uh, not just him; many others. Uh, a lot of guys in the UK, a lot of guys over here, who have been outed, you know, called out. For their misdeeds in the past, pretty much a whole Shakara promotion. Not really everybody individually, but like the promotion itself has kind of gone under essentially. Like the Wrestle yeah. Factory Wrestling School, which is based here in Philadelphia, Shakara is based here in Philadelphia, and like like Mike Quackenbush, who ran Shakara, who ran the Wrestle Factory Wrestling School, Kaput, Dunzo. And I was a fan of Shakara. I liked Shakara. I like. I went to their show in I think 2014, I want to say. And it was, a, it was a lot of fun. It wasn't, like, the best wrestling in the world, but I liked the, the attention to to the characters and the, all the details and the stories. It was, it was, and it was, I know some people might not like the whimsical nature of it. Uh, it's not for everybody, but if you kind of immerse yourself in it, it was not bad. I, I kind of enjoyed it. What color uh, were the ring was. ropes? I do not recall. Come on. What <laughs> <laughs> color were the ring ropes? <laughs> I have never uh, seen a Takara show, so I was just wondering. 
if, if they were blue. Eh, I'm not a fan. I don't know. But this is like 2014, man. This is like, yeah, like good 2014 at the 2300 Arena where I went to a Chikara show and I had a good time. But back to the original point. <laughs> it's that uh, wrestling's got to get its stuff together, man. And I know it's not everybody. I know it's not every wrestling school or every wrestling promotion or every wrestling uh, coach, trainer, uh, promoter. I know it's not all of you. Uh, but there's some type of culture at play here, just like with the police. I know some people say, oh, it's not all the cops. You're right, it's not all of them, but there is a culture that is, um, you know, allowed to play out, mm-hmm. you know, to permeate amongst police. And it's the same thing amongst wrestling, amongst the rest, wrestling culture and the wrestling industry, I should say. You know, there is a culture where this is allowed and this goes unchecked. And I think it's, it's getting checked now. Um, I don't know what it is about the, and the thing is about the wrestling business. It's always kind of been this way, right? It's always it started out as a carny business. It started out as like kind of a seedy, underground kind of underbelly type of business. Uh, so it's just the remnants of it still on it today, especially on the independence where there's no governing body and there's no regulations. A lot of times, it's just like whatever. It's like the wild west still even in 2020, so like the Wild West, where anybody with some money can get involved, and a lot of times, or I would say sometimes, they get involved for the wrong reasons. Whether that's, you know, whatever that may be. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Nick, but, yeah. It's, it's yeah, I, I think you laid it out pretty pretty well. Um, it's always kind of been a carny business, but it is, you know, we're in 2020 now. We know a lot more. We know uh, through our experiences and hearing the experiences of other people, how exactly, uh, things can be in terms of, you know, coming up in this business and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I want to say for me, you know, tough enough when that first came on the air on MTV, it kind of gave me a look at, uh, what goes on into becoming a wrestler and the training and everything. And that brought up the, kind of issues of bullying and all that. And that kind of came to a head a few years ago when uh, we even did an episode uh, when it came to JBL and I think Mauro Ranallo, uh that he was bullying Mauro. I don't remember if it was on SmackDown when Mauro came in. Uh, yeah, I guess it was because Mauro wound up going to NXT. So it, it had something to do with that and Mauro was gone for a few weeks on SmackDown and then he he reappeared um, in NXT. So that whole, we had like a whole show on that. And I think that might've been two years ago. So there's a culture that, like you said, permeates in wrestling that, uh, and bullying was part of it. And that kind of hopefully is done with. Uh, hopefully we have people policing each other backstage and on the road. And uh, this is just a, hopefully a step in that direction uh, with, the hashtag speaking out of where this kind of behavior and this type of behavior uh, will not occur anymore. Uh, I know it's a pipe dream uh, at, because can we really trust uh, the the men that in this business, uh, they just think it's normal. Can we trust them to change? And I think that's the biggest thing. It's going to be the onus is going to be on other men to really step up and 
address that behavior uh, when they see it instead of just keeping quiet and be like, that's none of my business. But yeah, it's, it's, it's wild right now, man. It's just, I encourage people to keep speaking out. Uh, you know, victims, if you're comfortable speaking out, feel free to do so. If, you know, if you're comfortable, obviously, right, uh, yeah. whether it be anonymously or because you know, yourself out there. I, I like that you said that because there is an uncomfortability factor that is very real. And I mentioned last week that I understand the, the mental process behind it because I've talked with family members that have been through it and why they don't say things at a certain time and why sometimes it just bubbles up to the surface and you know they just snap and I've seen it with my own eyes so anyone that doesn't understand that has a like they they have to believe (laughs) believe victims it's not it's not them looking for attention if they do speak out because when they don't speak, and if they don't speak out, it's like, oh, well, why didn't you say anything? It's not black and white. I, I, people need to understand that. And I think that's the biggest thing that people that didn't under, like, don't understand this mental process that victims go through, they just have to, they, they have to start understanding it. And I don't know what the answer is. They just have to be willing to listen and stop making judgments based off whether somebody said something or not. That, that, that starts with people having empathy. Exactly, exactly. People. And, you know, that doesn't, that's not a, um, that's not an inherent trait of human beings. It's really not. It's really, we've seen it the last few months. It's definitely not right. an inherent trait. When it comes to, you know, black and brown people who are oppressed, people don't necessarily have empathy for us. They, they hear it, but they don't, it requires empathy to really, like, try to begin to like yo like yo that's that's messed up and i feel sorry for you most people are just like well whatever like they, yeah. they just brush it off so the same goes for people in wrestling who are going anybody honestly who's going through yeah uh, these type of situations so again if you're comfortable speaking out please do so if you, even if you do it anonymously uh you know all that matters is how you are how you feel about it obviously uh whether you know whether it's good for you or not to come out and speak out about it. And if you know of anything that happened to other people, and you know if they're if that person is comfortable with you sharing their story, share it. You know, obviously, you don't want to. Some people aren't comfortable with this stuff being out there. It's, you know, victims are. I should say, there are some victims who are uncomfortable with it being out there. So, obviously, check with the victim first. Uh, you know, if, especially if you know if, if you know of a specific victim. I should say, you know, if you just you know heard some things, heard some rumors, or you saw some things, or whatever, like, if you know specifically if something happened to somebody, check with that victim first and make sure that they're okay with it. Uh, yeah, but, yep. yeah, I would still encourage you, regardless of, oh, I don't worry about my spot, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Especially on your independence. It's like, bro, you're not making, you're not millionaires. Y'all don't have that much at stake. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like, y'all out here driving a Ferrari uh, off the wrestling business, off the independent wrestling business, you know what I'm saying? So, you'll be all right. Ain't nobody wrestling right now, anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, call these people out. These people got to. These people got to go, man. Like, the wrestling business is better off without them. You know, it's better off without people like Joey Ryan, who, by all rights, man, how do how do we let that happen as wrestling fans? And I say we because I'm I'm out. Look, and I say we because 
I'm a, a wrestling fan, even though I would never have considered myself a massive Dory Ryan fan. Yeah, I followed mm-hmm. him on Twitter because he was a big name in Independence, and he had a buzz going for him. So you follow people who have buzz going for him to see what they're doing. Especially when I was you know, writing about pro wrestling back in 2016, 2017, and before that as well. But I wasn't going out of my way to see Jordan Ryan matches. I wasn't in love with the, uh, the, the finish she had or you know, the character itself. It's just like, it's just like ah, okay. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. whatever. Not for but me. People, people love that character. It's like, why? Why was he could do the character, but why was it a baby face? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then we think about it, like, why was this character a baby face? What is it about wrestling fans that made that made them like that character? What is it about wrestling that made them like that character? It's like, and people defended that character in the name of, oh, let's just have fun. It's all fun. And it's like and the same people that were clowning with, with good reason, bullcrap WWE type stories where there was like, oh, this is a clown show. To me, Joey Ryan was a clown show. Right. Right. I agree. He, he, he kind of was. It's a kind of clown show that I could never, I could never show to people who didn't watch wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, people who didn't watch wrestling would yeah. see Joey Ryan and be like, what in the hell are you into? They I know. would be like, I'm crazy. Through the years we've done this podcast, just talking one-on-one, how funny like you would bring up, uh, man, I would not show somebody who didn't, watch wrestling i would not show him that you know like i i wouldn't try to get somebody into wrestling and show him that and right. uh, i wasn't going to show them yeah. the penis party he would right throw or, right like he had a show called the penis party that was a show he's going to do or he had already done or remember he brought out the penises at the all all in i missed that it thankfully. was it was all in the first you know the first big show they did Cody right. and, and the Young Bucks but too. not not the aew one no, it wasn't AEW. Yeah. This, okay. was, this was yeah, twenty eighteen. I didn't. I did not watch that live. I saw it after the fact, mm. and it was like, "What in the hell?" Like, this is the one that Ring of Honor threw for them, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ring of Honor, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is funny in hindsight. Yeah. Um, but um, that 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 would never fly if it wasn't on pay per view. That's why they did it on pay per view on their own dime or whatever, their own time. AEW, Tony Khan's like, I can't do that on my TV show. Like, what? Like, <laughs> but we were like rallied around it, and he caught a wave. To be honest with you, he caught a wave. He rode that wave, uh, and it worked out for him for a little bit. But and it, it's still like, I'm not putting the onus all on us, obviously, because he is the guy. He's the reason this has happened. It's just like, what is it about us that made us like this guy? <laughs> like. That's what I. That's what I question. What is it about wrestling fans that made us like go? Yep, that's our guy. When it, the signs were all there that he was probably not the greatest. Yeah, yeah, I'm with and you. And then it turns just... out that when the stories come out, oh, by the way, he's the worst. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I I'll still never get it. I I didn't. You know, yeah, he was an impact, and I I haven't watched Impact recently, but. Um, you know, I wasn't aware. The last thing I saw with him, I think, had a he was with Johnny Swinger or something like that. So I don't know if that was part of the cancel culture group or not. But um, it just it it doesn't make sense to the people that loved him because they wanted to be like, oh, wrestling's like a fun thing and it's entertainment, blah. But they hate it when another company does the same 
type of, uh, not the same type of humor, I guess, but uh, similar things. And I think the only reason why they loved him was because he literally used his penis. That was it. <laughs> I think that's the only reason why people thought it was funny for whatever reason. I, I don't know why they thought that, but uh, and I don't know why that would be something to get on a bandwagon for because uh, it just kind of, it just, it didn't mesh into pro wrestling for me personally and uh, a lot of others. Just It's just never something that I fully got on board with. And I, look, he came out and like said some things that like he, he, you know, people call it virtue signaling. I guess in hindsight, maybe it was, but like yeah. he was like, I'm all about gender wrestling and equality and all this other stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's a positive message. And then you hear about the stuff he did behind the scenes. It's like, oh, come on, bro. Like, you didn't live up to that at all. Like, and, not at all. And, and again, Joey Ryan's not the only one. I don't mean to pile just on him. And, you know, he probably deserves to be piled on. But, um, you know, no sympathy for him. But, uh, you know, something about this wrestling business, man, that I guess it's the lack of oversight from, uh, like I said, yeah. governing body. Yeah. It's still, like... You know, it's kind of showbiz, so it's like, you know, you're on showbiz. There's still some, you know, crappy people in showbiz that, you know, take advantage of people uh, with their power and influence and whatnot. So maybe that's part of it, too. Especially, like, man, the people who train these teenage girls, stuff like that, man. I heard about yeah. dudes, like, yeah. dudes 30 years old dating 15, 16 year olds. Like, yeah. come on, bro. And I will like, take the task that NWA Legends account. I don't know if you had seen seen I that. Had seen that. And yeah, how trash. ridiculous, you know, when they whoever runs it, uh, Greg Price, I guess his name is. People were saying, I don't even know who the hell that is, um, but I do know that literally putting the blame on the woman because what do you, it was basically a what do you expect when you're alone in a hotel room with a guy? That's not any reason, any reason for anything to happen. Um, and that's the mindset that we need to get away from in pro wrestling and in life. Uh, just because somebody invites you to their hotel room to hang out does not mean that they want to have sex with you. And for whatever reason, guys always view that as an invitation. And I, I don't understand it. I never will understand it. I've never subscribed to that theory, thank God. Um, you know, I was brought up, you know... <laughs> they say no they mean no and that's how i've lived my life literally like you that's you respect what the woman says and you don't try to kind of like twist it into your own whatever you're looking for so just because someone invites me into a room doesn't mean that i think that that's an invitation to do whatever i want and uh that's the the thinking that we need to get away from and that's the predatory behavior we need to get away from and the fact that that account just basically was like well you know in my day that's what we called you know ring rats and stuff like that and that's what they would do they would invite people up it's like man just shut the hell up yeah. uh, ring rats 15 year old girls bro that they were training he has, and yeah he had like, no he has no about? clue man i don't i don't know if that twitter account's back up and running but i cannot unfollow and just talk shit on that account fast enough. He's stupid. He doesn't recognize the difference between a woman, a grown woman, hanging out at the wrestling shows, you know, or in the bars, something like that, 
uh, consenting to, you know, doing whatever she wanted to do, and a teenage girl, right? You know, or even a grown woman. In his, it, you yeah, know, a grown woman inviting you someone. that and just be like, hey, come up to the hotel room, hang out. It does not mean anything. But like, it either, does not mean, hey, let's go have sex. Like, that's not what it means. But even like a grown, like someone being taught at a school and they're being manipulated and you know, the story about Chikara that I read, uh, I believe it was yesterday. Uh, you hear about what, you know, how they would manipulate the, the female wrestlers and, you know, having them do the, the one-on-one class, but uh, they would fail them and say, you need some more instruction. Oh, do some personal instruction and all these different things they would do, this mental yeah. manipulation yeah. they would do yep. to kind of get inside these people's heads. And these are grown women. These aren't like, as far as I knew, I, mean, I might be wrong, but. I'm sure that a couple of those women in there and at school were of age. They were legal age. Um, you know, even in their 20s, obviously. Um, and it still happens. It's just like, come on. Like, what is, what are we doing here? I don't, I don't understand it. I have theories as to why this stuff might happen, but that's just a theory. I'm not going to speculate about that. That's just my working theory of what I think some, why some of these things may happen. But pretty much at the end of the day, these are terrible people who do terrible things, and it should stop. It's got to stop, regardless of why it's happening. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we can look at why it's happening and try to figure out, you know, how can we prevent it? But really, it's on us as men. There's women involved in it, too, but let's, let's focus on the men here, because we're men. Let's talk about it from the men's perspective. It's up to us men to take responsibility and not continue this type of stuff. We got to be, do better, point blank. We got to be better. Yeah. That's that's just it. It's perfect. And, you know, I've, I've remember growing up even around, you know, guys at school and, you know, just some of the way, the way they would talk about girls and be like, man, that's like messed up. Why would you say that? And then I would become the bad guy because like, oh, we're just joking around. Like that needs to end, you know, that locker room talk that they talk about, like that's, that's permeating itself into this culture where, it doesn't. It's not just locker room talk. It's literally out there happening. So you can't just pin it. Oh, it's just locker room talk. It's not real life. No, no, it it is real life. So that's where it, like you said, it, it starts with the men. Like we have to hold each other accountable, regardless of what you know might get said back to us or anything like that. Like that's, and and I was in there at a very young age thinking that. You know, maybe I was the weird one because I, I was against that kind of thing. But no, I'm, I'm thankful the way I was brought up. And I'm thankful to know that I was I was doing the right thing back then and calling out that behavior. It's maybe maybe I didn't prevent anything, unfortunately, because, you know, I wasn't the biggest guy in the world. I didn't see it with my own eyes, but I heard it. And I said, that's not that's not cool, man. Don't do that. So another part of this, too, I found interesting in that. Yeah. Wrestling journalists, people who report on wrestling or review wrestling, they've become friendly with some of these people that got called out that are pretty yeah. much, yeah. you know, persona non grata now in pro wrestling. And it's interesting to see how people kind of, uh, you know, deal with that. Because it's from a journalist, journalistic standpoint, it's like, hey, man, this is what happens when you become too friendly with the people you're covering. You know, it's like, you got to become a professional. You know, how, how do you reconcile that? How do you deal with that. Here's the way, don't, you know, I understand you become friendly with people to cultivate sources, but at least when I was covering wrestling, uh, I never really 
try to get ingratiate myself into the locker room culture, you know, go backstage, hang out in the locker room, or, hey, what are you guys doing after the shows? Where are you guys going? Let's go to the bar, blah, blah, blah. Nope. I got what I was supposed to do. I did my job. I befriended a couple people based off of just to, you know, off a of professional basis only. You know, it wasn't like we were talking a bunch or hanging out and stuff like that, especially after or before shows, nothing like that. Just never really got involved. hang out with the wrestlers after the shows. I, you know, if I was covering basketball or baseball or football, I would hang out with these million dollar athletes after the games and wherever they were going. I couldn't afford to go where they were going <laughs> more than likely, but you still kind of keep a little bit of distance you know, because you still want to keep it professional. You're still covering these people because as much as you are friendly with them, you might have to cover them when they, you know, when it's not a friendly time. You got to still be objective. I think some people in wrestling have kind of forgotten that. And that it's just, oh, we're all friends. And, you know, because I'm friends with this person, you know, that's my source or whatever. But when stuff like this happens, which is real life stuff, this is beyond just wrestling. When wrestling is very subjective, it's a matter, a lot of opinions. This is not a matter of opinion. This is a moral issue. And it's either you're on the side of right or you're on the side of wrong. And sometimes. One of your quote unquote friends that she was covering, you were covering, but you were also really friendly with, he or she might be on the side of the wrong, he might be on the wrong side, I yep. say. And that's where the bias comes in. And that's when, when you don't cultivate those closer relationships with those people, that's where you can actually report without bias. And like we're seeing, you know, a lot of that, I'm not seeing a whole lot of unbiased reporting. I am seeing unbiased reporting, but not, not a lot. But you're also seeing people kind of struggle to reconcile with the fact that some of the people that they are friendly with, it's like, damn, them too? And it's like, yeah, you know, it's, 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 I mean, it sucks. Yeah. But, hey, look, man, there's bad people all over the world, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, so I guess it's a little bit of a lesson just for the wrestling business in general, just especially from journals. It's like, you know, don't look at this just like you're, you're covering your friends, stuff like that. This is still business. And you got to approach it as such. Maybe because we come from more traditional backgrounds in journalism, you know. Maybe that's the reason why we never got into it. I, was, I don't know about you. I was never, I even I never even had a, a, uh, an ink, like a, a desire to really like kind of get into that, 
social space in, in pro wrestling. Like I, that just never was never my jam. So I didn't. You know. So yeah, I mean, I, I never really wanted. I'm glad to... I did now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, I would. I would say that I would rather have, uh, you know, had the that social space with people that in creative type and be like, hey, man, like, well, because I'm more of a story driven person. So if anything, I would want to gravitate towards those people that have creative minds and uh, like even storylines, that type of like writers, basically. But, um, you know, I haven't. And that's not if anything, that would have been it. But. Uh, yeah, for me too. I just didn't kind of stayed away from that uh, for a while when I started. And really, so, the only time I talked to wrestlers was through Philly Voice when I had an interview. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you you get tweet with some, you get to know some through Twitter or you know through email or something like that. Like I said, you, you talk to guys multiple times over the phone; they, they recognize. You. Uh, hey, I know you, or whatever. Like. So, yeah. you know, you kind of get to know some more maybe during shows, you know, maybe during intermission, meet a guy, hey, I didn't, you know, interviewed you, did, put a name to a face, something like that, talk right. to him, yeah. you know, yeah. get to know him a little bit, you know, small talk type of stuff, but nothing really beyond that. And, and you know, and now looking at it, it's like, man, wrestling, that, that culture sucks. <laughs> like, I yeah. wouldn't have yeah. wanted to be involved in that. And I would have put myself in a position where how do I cover these people when they do this terrible stuff? So that's something that I, you know, I've thought about over the last couple of days as I've seen a lot of these stories come out is how, you know, how the journalism aspect of it would have been, how it has it, how it has been handled to this point. And um, so, yeah, that's another thing I just thought about. But at the end, at the end of the day, uh, regardless of journalism or whatever, uh, the culture's got to change. It's got to take. A, it's got to look itself in the mirror, and it's got to change, man. These people, especially these, these coaches and trainers, man, who are they got responsibility, man. They're, they're gatekeepers into wrestling. Y'all have a responsibility, man, to, to not be terrible people. Like that's yeah, yeah. that's awful. That's really it's literally awful, easy to not be a terrible person. You would think it is, but apparently it's not. <laughs> a lot of terrible people out there. And to these promoters or these wrestlers who are using their power and influence to manipulate people, you know, that that's terrible too. Yeah, don't do that anymore neither. Like that's that's just whack too, man. Like, come on, really? You're not like again. This is an independent wrestling. You're not like some big famous worldwide celebrity. You're an independent wrestling. Why are you doing this in this industry? Like. Make it inclusive. Make it welcome for people. Instead, you're shutting people out because you're making turning it into a toxic culture. And that hurts the wrestling business at the end of the day. And from the outside looking in, you look at the wrestling business like, oh, that terrible cesspool. And it shouldn't be that way. You, you make everybody look bad. But also, at the end of the day, you're being terrible human beings. And that's, what's, that's the worst part of it, obviously. That's the most important part. Yeah. Yep. Just in general, forget the wrestling business. Forget, um, you know, your reputation. These victims too are, you know, getting it the worst. Uh, and these people, you just gotta treat people better. That's just I don't know. 
I hate to sound preachy. It's just we say it every week. I feel like on here, just do better. Do better. And and I'll Um, I'll say, man, it's funny that you're kind of like, well, I guess it's not that easy to be a good person because of everything that they've we've seen, but for me, it's been easy. So, um, you know, I'm not an ass clown. I'm I'm not an asshole. So. I, I like to, I mean, I I have tendencies where I'm like on the road and somebody cuts me off and I'll flick them off. And if that's me being an asshole, then I'm an asshole. But, um, or you know, that person, eh, I don't, I, I try not to. Uh, I'm not perfect, David. I'm definitely not perfect, but I do, uh, I do make sure that I don't inconvenience any other drivers, uh, out there on the road. I care about y'all. Yeah, I hear sexually assaulting. Not at all. Which is good. That's good. Um, yeah, it's it's easy to not sexually assault a woman. It really is. Yeah. That's why I think the the people that do are the scum of the earth. That they are. Yeah. And, and not just it. women. You know, men too. Whoever gets sexually assaulted, that perpetrator is scum of the earth. I make an awkward transition from these very serious <laughs> topics. Yeah, we've been to... very serious lately because wrestling sucks. Yeah, right. <laughs> wrestling much, sucks yeah. right now. It sucks right now. And we're not even talking about the in ring stuff. We're talking about yeah, all exactly. the other stuff. Exactly. It sucks. That's a perfect way to put it. And this is the business and the industry that Nick and I both love. Loved it for years, and we'll talk about our wrestling fandom. Whoa! Impact Wrestling terminates Tessa Blanchard. Ooh! Just saw that on Twitter. Okay. Breaking news, everybody. Stripped her of the okay. Impact Wrestling Championship. That was another thing that happened a couple months ago. Yeah, it was brought to light. Uh, more well, bully, Tessa Blanchard bullying, was a, right? Yeah, Tessa Blanchard being and a terrible taunts. person yeah. to multiple people, and most people came out and said, "Yo, you are an awful person." And and she hasn't yeah, been on TV since the pandemic began, I think. Right, and I'm reading a statement here now that PW Insider has. I am on the same thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll read it right now. Yeah. Um, uh, for those who are listening, this is happening in real time. We just saw this, so, I mean, I don't know if this is... Is this, like, something that happened a couple minutes ago, or, like, is this just breaking right now? Yeah, it says, uh, well, their timestamp is the 24-hour timestamp, whatever the hell why they do that but it's uh 10 10 so we're right now we're at 10 13 so yeah three minutes ago this broke look at impact wrestling's uh twitter real quick uh nope they don't have anything on twitter because why would they (laughs) um all right here we go here's a statement blanchard had not or here's a statement it's really short actually impact wrestling confirmed that it has terminated its relationship with tessa blanchard and stripped her of the impact world wrestling championship impact wrestling world championship so she has not been on the TV since COVID. Let's see here. Uh, it says relations between Blanchard and Impact had become increasingly icy in recent weeks. Especially after Blanchard did not send promos from Mexico, where she has been residing. I did not know she was living in Mexico. Yeah. So yeah, if, it, if, this is in, the, if this is the issue, that's kind of crazy to me. That well, this would be the straw that broke the camel's back. Because she didn't send promos. Yeah, seriously. I feel like, 
this would not should not be the reason <laughs> that they would yeah. make this decision but yeah so, so they had a re-edit uh, impact episode and really that's all they have um they don't really say anything else about the reasoning behind it so i would i would hope maybe impact is formulating a statement as we speak and by the time we're done hopefully we have one that we can read that can shed some light on the reasoning See. But so Impact doesn't have a world champ. Moose is the world champ, right? Oh well, yeah, he's the TNA world champion. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right. Whatever. <laughs> um, so Impact finally did that. Okay, awkward transition. Uh, well, I was saying before that, I was saying that uh, before I interrupted myself, was that wrestling business sucks right now, and it's the business that me and Nick has loved for years and years and years and it's not necessarily a pleasant thing to say or to admit and it's not really it sucks right now it's this type of stuff has always happened in pro wrestling which i saw a lot of people saying you think this stuff is new it's like it's not that don't mean it's good you know what I'm saying? like that's mean we can't talk about it now <laughs> um you know just like people say racism isn't new it's like yeah but let's talk about it let's let's, let's make it old let's make it something yeah. that doesn't happen anymore so yeah um it sucks, and it's got to change. And as far as we knew, it's always sucked. <laughs> so let's yeah. change it. Now, awkward transition time again. This time to wrestling fandom. As I just said, Nick and I, we have been loving and following this wrestling business. It's crazy, uh, wacky, fun, and sometimes awful wrestling business since we were children adolescent even before that uh so but nick brought up a or he told me about a i think an interesting topic in that the evolution of wrestling fandom because we're now i'm 31 nick what 34 yes 34 and you know i didn't mean to give away your age there but you You gave away yours so I'll, i'll give away mine um, but we're both in our thirties, early thirties, and we've seen kind of multiple iterations of our fandom from childhood to now. And Nick, I kind of, you know, I'll let you start off and talking about maybe starting off in the beginning and talking about, you know, your fandom, how it began and maybe as, what were you like as a child and you can maybe compare it to how you are now, but I'll let you kind of start off with this. Yeah, I'll, I'll start uh, as a, you know, my fandom as a child. And then I guess once we hit teenage years, I'll throw it to you so you could talk about yours. Um, the, the whole reason I, I thought about this was because how we, we just talked for over an hour about how shitty the wrestling business seems to be right now. Uh, and it was it was like this for a long, long time. So it's not new. So I thought maybe that you know, talking about how our fandom changed through the years, what made us a fan, what made us stay a fan, and where we are now would, you know, be, be kind of a fun thing to talk about because uh, we do like to, you know, bring some positivity uh, to the podcast, especially during a time where there's almost nothing but negativity surrounding the wrestling business. So, you know, I, I mentioned a, a lot before my first 
wrestling match that I saw was Hulk Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior. Well, at least WrestleMania six was. I don't know if it was my first wrestling match, but you know, the spectacle of Hogan versus Warrior at WrestleMania was the biggest, you know, thing I had seen up to that point. I was five years old. Um, what I remember the most also is the tag team match from WrestleMania where Demolition beat Andre the Giant and Haku with Bobby Heenan. And Andre the Giant stuck in the ropes. And so those two memories of Hogan Warrior and Andre stuck in the ropes uh, basically started my wrestling fandom. And, uh, you know, I thought you know, it's cr- kind of crazy to think about because everyone was so high on Hulk Hogan and, and, you know, back in the day. But my fandom started really when the Ultimate Warrior was champion. And I thought, you know, that was normal that he was the champion. So when he lost it, I was confused. I, I didn't understand title changes, <laughs> even though, you know, I saw the tag team titles change hands at that point at WrestleMania six, uh, you know, the intercontinental title change hands at SummerSlam that year when Kerry Von Eric beat Bristol perfect in Philly note, nonetheless, uh, to win the intercontinental title. But really I always thought the world title was the title. So the other titles didn't mean much to me. So when Sergeant Slaughter beat the ultimate warrior at the Royal rumble, I was like, no, this is a travesty. You know, <laughs> I didn't get overly emotional in at wrestling, so I was just like majorly bummed out. Like I wasn't crying or anything, but I was just really bummed out. And then seeing Hulk Hogan win the title from Sergeant Slaughter, uh, that was the first time I saw him as champion, or at least winning the title and holding it for a while. Um, so I kind of, I still miss the Ultimate Warrior at that point. You know, that was my guy. That was the, the champion when I started watching, really. Um, so it's kind of, it sucks to look back that, Two of my favorites uh, in The Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan were as shitty people as they are. Um, but luckily, you know, we I was kind of towards the tail end of Hulk Hogan's time at the top, at least in WWF. So when he lost to The Undertaker, I remember just, uh, you know, feeling like that was kind of a shame, but I wasn't, like, so upset like I was with The Ultimate Warrior losing. And then Ric Flair won it. And then, you know, we go through 1992. 1992 is such a good wrestling year for me. It's mainly WWF I watched. I didn't watch WCW yet. But, uh, you know, I, I'm going back and watch some of the Saturday night, Saturday nights and the pay-per-views. And WCW, I appreciate the wrestling aspect of it and the sport aspect of it. It was definitely different than WWF at the time. So I do enjoy watching the, the differences in that. But 1992 WWF is my dark horse. It might be my second favorite year. I know we like to joke that I love 1995 WWF, and I don't think it's as terrible as people point it out to be, but I I don't think it's the best. So I'll go 97, 90, well, maybe 98. The Attitude Era is up there, but, uh, you know, 97... 92, 95. Like, those are kind of about three years that really. 95. Come on. Hey, I... Diesel, which champ, you know? It was like. What they does were... that matter? The Kiss My Foot match, bro. Come on. Oh, my God. <laughs> I will say it was better than whatever WCW was doing, in, in, in my opinion, because you had Hogan over there, Savage over there, Dungeon of Doom, bullcrap. But it was before the NWO. So if I had to pick one or the other, you would have to go with WWF. That is a very low bar. That Hey, it's a bar, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's one the or the other. Is like, 
on damn near on the floor like it's impossible <laughs> to beat. And, and, and I wasn't and even was limbo. <laughs> Can't, you got to get on your, your like your knees and your back at the same time. Somebody's just rolling you through on skates in order to get through that. Like, come on now, it's just not gonna happen. Well, it's I will super low bar. I will say this was before my time watching ECW. I started watching ECW in early 1996 when Shane Douglas went back after he left the WWF. So that was when I first was introduced to ECW. So. That's kind of where I'm at in 95. It's like one or WWF or WCW. So um, 92 WWF, though, it was kind of a great year. You're introduced to the Papa Shago curse and everything like that. Oh, and... God. Why do you mention all the terrible things? <laughs> well, that wasn't terrible, man. I was, what, yes, eight? Was. eight? <laughs> I was like seven years old, freaking out. Yeah, it was funny. I mean, but that's, the thing back. About, that's the thing about wrestling, though, right? When you're a kid. Yeah, you remember all that. And it's so, like... It hits home, so it's, it hits so much harder when you get because you believe it. Yeah, it's vivid and, in my memory how I would go into the other room and Papa Shago would come on. Like I literally would walk into the other room. Right. So for me, <laughs> I started. I was watching wrestling in like ninety four, ninety five, but I eventually just kind of fell off, like everybody else did, hey. and got really heavy into <laughs> football. That was my thing. Mm. Only, my only thing. The only thing. Only thing I really liked. In like the mid nineties, like ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven, it was like football. That's, that's all I was into. And then ninety eight, kind of into ninety nine, rolled around. I was in ninety eight, and that's when wrestling was hot. <laughs> and everybody in the school I was going to, so I guess if it was ninety eight, I would have been in, man, I was what nine years old at that point. So I was only in like fourth grade, maybe fifth, no, fourth grade. I was in the fourth grade in 98. Um, so everybody I knew was talking about it. And it was like, what is this thing that everybody's talking about? And they're all like super happy about it. It's almost like it was a cool thing. Like I see people come to school with wrestling t-shirts on and get gross shirts, stuff like that. And I'm not just talking about WWF. WWF being hot. WCW was hot still too. They had plenty of steam left before uh, everything went downhill. Uh, but they were still both like running hot. And so I was like, I gotta get into this wrestling stuff. Like, I'm missing it. Everybody's talking about it and it's like all this cool stuff. And you know, when you're ten or at that point I was like nine, and it was still very uh, an adult oriented product at that point, obviously. It's the attitude there. So for me it was almost like this thing was like I'm watching this adult thing but I'm only nine. So I was like, ooh, like you know, I'm watching this adult thing, but yet it's wrestling. It's like this athletic competition too. So you see these wrestlers and they're doing these great athletic feats. And you know, eventually they started doing like the ladder matches, the TLC matches. You're just like blown away by this stuff. And yeah, literally, I was enchanted by it. Like it was literally like a fantasy world for me that was nothing but good, you know, as a kid. That's how I felt about it as a kid. You know, this is why we talk about the evolution of it. Because obviously, obviously, my thoughts and feelings have changed about this era over the years. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you you were more into the matches and the 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 competition rather than the actual characters. I was into the characters, no, definitely into the characters. Okay. But I was I was enthralled by the outcome. I was like, I was a big rock fan, and mm. when I was into it, and in '99 he was a babyface for a good portion of the year. Yeah, but when I first started, he wasn't. Uh, especially in 98. But then by 2000, when I was like 
entrenched. Like I was up to my neck in wrestling. All, like I was all about it. He was a good guy. So I hated when The Rock got beat up. <laughs> and I loved when he laid the smack on people. That's all how it was. Like, <laughs> So yeah, I was definitely more invested in the outcomes of matches. Because you get behind people. You move for people. Um, I would. I remember definitely flipping back and forth to see Nitro. And it was wild to see guys like Benoit and, and Eddie Guerrero on Raw all of a sudden in 2000. Yeah. And I was just watching yeah. them on Nitro like a month before that. And I was like, whoa, that's... That's weird, but when you're a kid, you're just like, huh, whatever. You don't really know that this is like a sign of WCW going down. Like, I didn't right, know that WCW was going to go out of business at some point. For anything, knew, you could be like, oh, they'll be on Nitro next week. They're just here for the <laughs> show or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what it was. It's just like, but I knew I knew one thing. WCW did not have the juice by that point. <laughs> nope. It was easy to tell. It was like, yo, WCW is like kind of whack, low key. Like, yeah, WWF got yeah. the juice, and they had the juice, I should say, in 2000. Full all the way through, like it was obvious between the two shows which one was better. Even Ten and Loving You and Me could tell <laughs> WWE, WWF had it. Um, but I was still watching it because it's wrestling. Right. So. And I think part of that was all those changes Vince Russo made to the presentation. It kind of made it cartoony, uh, made WCW into kind of like a parody that, you know, it, it was trying to mimic what he did in the WWF with the changing of the ring ropes and the set and like all that stuff and then the matches right. got worse and they're like two minutes it was like this isn't what wcw was and they were trying to you know vince russo was trying to change it into what he made or helped make the wwf into starting in 97 and uh you know that to me that was kind of like I- i'm with you like they didn't have the juice they they were trying anything and everything changing their logo to perhaps the worst logo that i've ever seen ever <laughs> um the great the- gray and black one i guess yeah yeah, well, yeah you can barely sucks. see that it's w on the sides with the c in the center it just it yeah, was it was just bad and the changes that they were trying to make paled in comparison to the ones that the wwf made in 1997 when they changed their logo and you know their raw set and all that stuff so um to me it just felt like wcw was trailing and i i at that time i knew vince russo was kind of in charge uh, of the writing and the you know production and everything, and I was just kind of like, I'm not feeling it. Maybe, maybe Vince McMahon is a genius, and you know that was my thought process back then. You know, I'm, I just know that Vince McMahon's running the show in WWF at the time. You know, it's what 1999, and uh, yeah, I'm with you. I just at that point, WCW just kind of lost my interest. I would still tape the the shows. I would tape Raw in my room. I would go in my parents' room and tape Nitro. Um, but I would never watch Nitro. Like that's how much that I, I didn't care about that show. Yeah, it's, it's funny though because you mentioned like you knew that Vince Russo was in charge. I was ten, so I even though we had a computer in the house and I had that dial-up internet, right. yeah. got a little dial-up. Where if I was on the internet, my mom wanted to get on the phone. I better have my ass off that internet. She wanted to use the phone. Damn right. right. Um, but I wasn't on wrestling websites at all. Yeah. Like the wrestling websites that I would go to was WWF.com. <laughs> that was it. I think I, I like searched wrestling and that I, WrestleZone.com was my first wrestling website. How funny is that? That is funny. Uh, I didn't have any of them back then. So I didn't know anything about the behind the scenes stuff. I, right. You know, booking, yeah. nothing like that. I didn't know what booking was until like probably, I didn't know what like, the term booking was until like mm-hmm. maybe the late, Ots, like 
2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I totally just like normal casual fan as casual can be not only casual because I was definitely diehard of watching all the shows but from an information standpoint definitely a casual information person somebody just left the company I didn't know I didn't know why they left <laughs> I didn't know you know they got suspended or right. what like I didn't know somebody got hurt like somebody got rolled off TV I didn't know why I was like oh they, they got beat up so they won't be around for a while you know, I didn't yeah. know they had a real life injury or something like that that had nothing to do with the angle just they did an angle to write them off like things like that i didn't know about mm-hmm. so this transitions into like i was pretty much that fan all the way through probably like high school honestly like even though i kept watching i was into it i you could tell you know i knew by this point even by like 10 or 11 that it wasn't it, it was a work. Like I knew that by that point. Um, so that so I had been past the stage, but I was still pretty much from an information standpoint casual. But I did venture into a wrestling website uh, in high school when I would go to my journalism class. They had Apple computers, so that was pretty much nice. my internet access. For I don't know. I mean, I had a computer at home, but. It wasn't a Mac, so <laughs> hop on that Mac and right. had that internet, that speed, high speed internet. Boom! I was everywhere. Hell yeah! I would go to like pwinsider.com. Oh wow! That's like the first wrestling website I went to when I was in high school. I, would, I pretty much went to that website. Oh, I think I want to say every day. I don't know, maybe maybe <laughs> not, but I would go there a lot. And um, so you find out some things there, but I still wasn't like insider insider person at that point. So I hadn't become quite jaded yet, but I did kind of venture into the internet, the wrestling website space. And of course, by this point, when I'm 17, 18, I know fully that this is a full blown work. There's no secret about that anymore. I'm not quite as enchanted by it. Still, I remember seeing WrestleMania 23 uh, when they were, that was the first stadium show they had in a couple of years for WrestleMania. It was like, whoa, look at that. That's yeah. amazing. Wow. That's WrestleMania. Like, that's massive. And I don't remember having that reaction <laughs> after that. Like, it's just like, oh, that's cool. You know, like, maybe because you see it every year, you become uh, yeah. accustomed to it. But, yeah, you, you know, that, that kid in me, as I grew up, that kid in me kind of went away and I became more of an adult. So, yeah, I don't know. How was that for you as far as transitioning into your teenage years? I think, uh, so, you know, we went through the Attitude Era and all that, and God bless my parents for for dealing with me trying to do, like, the suck in Austin 316 crap. <laughs> uh, I wasn't, like, terrible with it, but, you know, it was part of our lives, you know, as teenagers in school especially. How many, how many little boys walk around their school? Telling people to suck it. <laughs> a ton of like, them. That is terrible. A but like, ton of them. And at ninety eight, ninety nine, that was it. Suck it. Like <laughs> yeah. you're you're going to detention, Johnny. Suck it, Miss Lady, Miss <laughs> Teacher. I I, I understood it. the crotch shop and everything, but I never knew what it meant. Like I was just so sheltered of the the meaning, and because people wouldn't say what it meant, they would just say it like suck it. And, you know, the crotch top. So it would just be like, okay, well, to me, it was another thing to just say, you suck. 
Like that was <laughs> to me just another way to say that. So, nope. um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I definitely know that now. Um, so <laughs> we go through like the attitude error and all that. And I'm, just as into it i'm happy because i've been a wrestling fan basically my whole life people kind of made fun of me about it when i was younger but now everybody's on the bandwagon so i felt like hey see i was a wrestling fan before any of you not that it mattered it didn't make me any cooler that i had been watching longer than anyone um but uh i just remember thinking that you know obviously people would talk to me here and there about the wrestling and uh you know, it was mostly WWF. Uh, a lot of people loved The Rock, and uh, you know, my school was mainly a WWF school because even though, like you said, WCW was around like ninety six, ninety seven. There were they would come to Philly. I would see people wear Outsiders T shirts to school and all that. And I like people I wouldn't think that would either went there or been wrestling fans. I'd be like, wait, why is she wearing an Outsider shirt? I didn't know she liked wrestling or something like that. But I would never get the guts up to you know, go and talk to her about it because I was always shy. So, um, oh. yeah, yeah. Shy yeah. Junior year, I broke out of that, thankfully. But, uh, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, even, you know, through the seventh, eighth grade and high school, um, I didn't really have close friends that liked wrestling. All, all my close friends were uh, of different, you know, backgrounds that they, they like, I had a friend that would love paintball. So we would like play paintball or whatever. And he was basically obsessed with it. Um, another friend I had that's got into wrestling because of me, uh, he watched nitro one night, I think it was like in sixth grade and he became a Ric Flair fan ever since. And he, so he would watch nitro every week over WWF and we would kind of talk about, I would talk about raw. He would talk about nitro, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Uh, once we get to high school, that really just kind of dwindled down. By my junior year, WWF became WWE. So everyone kind of tailed off, especially after WCW was bought by the WWF. Like, there was yeah, just that a tailing off. Yeah, it just kind of tailed off. Not, no one liked The Rock as much anymore. And, and if they did, they didn't talk about it. So I never like, hear much about it around school. So throughout the rest of my teenage years into you know the college years, I really just, I, I took a break when it became WWE, it kind of took a little break and I, I was really, you know, here and there for about a year or two until WrestleMania 20 kind of brought me back. You know, I was there for the big pay-per-views, uh, Survivor Series 2003 I ordered, I really enjoyed that pay-per-view. Um, Royal Rumble 2004 was in Philly, so I ordered that pay-per-view. Um, but WrestleMania 20 is really what got me back watching every single week. Because uh, by by that point, before that, I didn't really watch every single week. So, yeah, definitely WrestleMania 20 was the catalyst of my resurgence as a wrestling fan. And I was watching everything, taping everything every week. And that's when my collection saving started really... Re like, I, I, I got this urge to collect everything wrestling. So I would go on the internet, look for tape traders and all that, and I'd buy tapes uh, of stuff that I didn't have. Uh, I bought Clash of the Champions set, you know, like 15 years ago. <laughs> Saturday night before it was available, on the, there was no WWE Network, so I had these DVDs of those shows, and I was like, man, these bring back so many memories, and um, I, I focused on actually collecting as much, as many shows as I could by that point. 
So for me, as I transitioned to college, uh, more definitely more and more into the insider stuff, which also because I had more internet access, I was definitely on the internet a lot more in college than I was in elementary school and high school. Also, I got into the show. I don't know if you remember the show or if you ever watched. It's called the Pro Wrestling Report. Got David Hero and I think Damian. I actually got into that a couple years ago before they went on hiatus or something. So it it took me a while to actually get into that. But yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I was was into them in like 08, 09, maybe into 10, maybe even into 11. And that's where I'm, you know. Listen to them talk and David Hero. I know he ran his own promotion. He talked about a lot about booking and stuff like that. That was that was, I thought that was a dope show back in the day. I liked it a lot. Um, it covered a lot of new stuff. And again, I got into a lot of different websites. I can't, you know, I, got into, I think I might have started checking out PW Torch or something like that. Um, I started listening to, you know, more watching more YouTube videos and stuff like that, just about wrestling. And this is when like those uh, Legends of Wrestling roundtables were out. You can watch them on. Um, they were on WWE twenty four seven, but I would watch them on like YouTube or something like that. <laughs> this is before the WWE Network, so before every wrestler had a podcast, which is just the case today. <laughs> you didn't hear a lot of wrestlers talk about the insides and outs about the business unless you had watched, you know, caught a shoot interview. Which they, those are pretty much non existent nowadays because, again, every wrestler has a podcast. But like 10, 12 years ago, uh, I forget the guy's name now, but he ran like, what's it called? The You Shoot series or whatever. I can't remember that guy's name on the top of my head. No clue. He in a suit and he had to run the hotel room and they have everybody, everybody in there, in those rooms or whatever. And he interviewed them, do different segments and stuff like that. And this is like, again, they, they would do this over the years and they would pay certain people, they would pay them, put out the DVD, make, people would buy those DVDs and they would sell and that's how they made their money. And then wrestlers like, hey, I can do my own podcast. <laughs> or they could do interviews uh, without having to go to a hotel and be on camera. They could just do a podcast interview. And like, oh, podcast. I don't have to go anywhere now. <laughs> like, you know, it's a different space than like a, maybe a radio station or something like that. And then, then Long form podcast eventually became popular, but before all that, it was a shoot interview, and I got in more into the shoot interviews, and that's how I learned about, uh, you know, a lot of the, the the things that happened back in the day in, in the wrestling business, and and, and, the, and the ins and outs of wrestling, and what the, the traditions are, what the, the customs were, stuff like that. Uh, that's how I learned about a lot about the territories. Uh, Listen to those old shoot interviews and stuff like that from guys from that era. Talk about how many territories there were and how they operated and how they functioned and you know what it was like for them back in the day. So this is about the stage where I started learning more about wrestling history and then watching some of that wrestling history, the bits and pieces I could find, and then comparing it to what I was watching in 2010 and 2011, being like, "Ugh, this is this is not good." <laughs> so I think this is the era around this time maybe late teens, early 20s, when I began to become jaded, in a sense. Uh, just the beginning, I should say. Um, and I process how I looked at matches changed slightly. 
but not I wasn't all the way there just yet. So Nick, I'll, I'll let you kind of take it from there. Yeah, I, I think by the point where I started just focusing on collecting, uh, I was jaded at that point because I would literally put on a show to record it on WWE 24-7 or whatever. I, I would have DVD spindles and I would separate them for like the Hall of Fame. And um, I had this like really unique setup to where I was kind of proud of it. Um, and I had, uh, you know, it was before the internet really had much in, in terms of being able to watch things uh, like on, on YouTube or whatever. I, I didn't really see much uh so at least i had and there was no streaming at that point so i had a physical copy that i was able to record and i had it and i could watch it whenever i wanted and that was huge to me so i would tape all the new stuff that i had they had the monday night war with an episode of raw and an episode of nitro uh once a month and i would i could not wait until they got to like the 1997 era of both raw and nitro so i would tape them and probably, and I would actually watch those as I was taping them, but uh, with the like the Hall of Fame stuff or the Legends of Wrestling, Legends of Wrestling I watched more than not. But I would start recording it and then I would leave the room and do whatever I needed to do. I would do a task or go run an errand or something, and come back. You know, I, I would it would tell you how long it was. So I was like, okay, I have an hour to do this, and um, so I would go like run an errand, make sure I was back in an hour. So I would be able to stop the recording uh, at the end, and then I would just put it on the DVD spindle. I would label it with you know whoever it was, whatever show it was, put it in the spindle. Never watch it. So I literally record. <laughs> I've literally recorded things that I never watched, just so I could have it as part of my collection. So I kind of became obsessed with making sure that I had every thing that available to me um, in, in my collection, and that included subscribing to the Latino package on uh, Xfinity. It was Comcast still at the time, but uh, like the uh, Latin channels, I subscribed to it. Uh, I begged my mom to. It was like an extra $12 a month or something because they had CMLL on there and uh, WWC, the World Wrestling Council from Puerto Rico. They had, they had shows of that on there. So I actually recorded, I was still, I had a DVD recorder slash VHS recorder. So there were things that I recorded on DVDs like Raw and SmackDown and like those shows, but other shows I would still record on VHS just uh, because I didn't want to use up all my DVDs at once. (laughs) So I would record like the WWC and CMLL on VHS um, and I, I tried to watch, but it just wasn't entertaining to me. I was just kind of like, okay, it's wrestling. So I'm going to add it to my collection, but I'm not going to watch it. So after a few weeks, I just I made sure it was coming on. Cause sometimes the guide wasn't uh, very accurate on Comcast and it's still not most of the time, but uh, I, I would record it and come back in an hour or stop it and just file it away for next week. And uh, so I did that a lot around that time frame from like 2007, 2008, all the way up to 2012. And I think the last thing I ever recorded was the Raw 1000th episode uh, when CM Punk turned on The Rock. And it was like the first of the three-hour Raw era. It was like the first one of the every single week. I know they had three-hour Raws uh, here and there, but that was the first 
three-hour Raw of this era. So that was the last one I ever recorded on DVD. And then I just kind of stopped. It was tough. I went through a breakup, so it was, like, tough for me at that, during that breakup, to really continue recording every week. But I picked back up, uh, uh, like, a month or two later. So... I kept the co- I kept the collection going for a couple more years, but you know by 2012 I tapped out. I don't know. You probably would have ran out of DVDs if you tried to record three-hour raws. Yeah, yeah, that too. I, I would have to make it in the lowest quality to fit it on one DVD. Otherwise, I would have to use two uh, for one show, and I just wasn't about that. I was about storage, man. I wanted I wanted everything to be nice and neat. And I you know, on one DVD for everything and uh, <laughs> the way I organized everything. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely uh, would not have appreciated those three-hour rolls had I continued to uh, record. Well, it's funny you go to, like, 2012. That's when that Raw 1000 happened, right? <laughs> yeah. Was yeah. It yeah. Yeah. Because yep. uh, around this point, so through college, obviously I'm watching and keeping up with stuff and I remember, uh, you know, I'm making, I have a little bit of money, just a little bit of money, you know, <laughs> uh, trust, not a lot, but I have an apartment with my girlfriend at the time, Gabby's mom, we were staying in our apartment, and I remember being like, kind of reinvigorated with wrestling when The Rock came back, yeah. and and wrestled, he was at WrestleMania 27, he wasn't even wrestling at that show, that was the sh- that was WrestleMania he had hosted. And I was like, I'm buying this WrestleMania. Like, <laughs> it was like, kind of, like I said, it's kind of reinvigorating for me because I was always a big Rock fan growing up. He was finally back after many years away. So I was like, yeah, this is a fact. And then um, just so happened, you know, I knew a couple people that I went to school with that were fans too that, you know, it, I don't know, maybe uh, at least on my campus wasn't like a big wrestling community there. So you can see people walking around wrestling t-shirts nothing like that um and you know nothing, you didn't it just didn't happen so when i found out that like there's a couple of people that liked it like, oh yeah let's let's let's, let's watch and I, I remember when wrestlemania 28 the next year rolled around we were all like in the room in somebody's apartment watching it we made like a whole day out of it we like went to uh mcdonald's i think it was got something to eat then we went to Somebody that somebody's apartment played Madden. I beat everybody in Madden because I was nice. Um, just whooping on everybody. Uh, it was bad. Then um, then we watched uh, WrestleMania and it was dope. And you know it was it was it was fun to be around other wrestling fans. And this is where I guess you start getting into that community aspect of wrestling where you start you know because social media is a thing obviously yeah. and you start you know hey there's a whole community of fans out there that like the same thing you like and just, just had to be the people that you know in your circle um but for me at this point this is when i was like kind of like all right i want to start going to shows more i had did actually i had went to a show in 2010 i talked about this in the podcast in the past when my first wrestling show didn't happen until i was 21 years old when i took gabby's mom when she was still pregnant with gabby uh so gabby <laughs> went to a wrestling show her first wrestling show was before she was even born uh, was in before Money in the Bank in 2010. I can't remember whether it was June, June or July. But um, went to that show, and then I remember when WrestleMania 28 rolled around, I was like, yo, I want to go to a WrestleMania one day. Wouldn't that be dope if I went to a WrestleMania one day? And then they announced, 
oh, next year's WrestleMania is going to be against Rutherford, New Jersey at MetLife Stadium. I'm like, whoa, I'm going. Got to be there. Like, yeah. I'm out. Like, I'm definitely going to that. And because, you know, for those who don't know, uh, MetLife Stadium is only two hours north from where we are here in Philly. Um, so it's a hop, skip, and a jump. I had to get there. For my first one, I had never been to one. And in 2013, I was 24. So my 24 years of life to that point, I had never gone. But I had graduated from college in 2012. Started working for Philly.com. Now it's called Inquire.com in 2012 as well. And I was like, I still want to go to WrestleMania in 2013. How about I cover it for Philly.com? Boom. (laughs) I'm a journalist. What do journalists do? We cover events. Hey, I like wrestling. No one else is covering wrestling. I want to cover wrestling for Philly.com and write about it on the website. Boom. So I started covering it, and I made my way to WrestleMania 29 in New Jersey. It was one of those, like, door-opening, eye-opening, mind-blowing experience where, yeah, WWE has a lot of faults, but... They put on a heck of a show at WrestleMania every year. I, I give them that much credit. It was always, I went three years in a row. I've talked about it, you know, multiple times on the show as well. And it was a fun, it was fun every year. WWE puts on a show every year as far as like, you know, the atmosphere and whatnot. <clears throat> but that first one was like, man, this is crazy. Like, this is so much, this is just bigger than I could even imagine. And it was around that point where there was a shift as well for me. And now I started covering wrestling. So now I'm looking at it from a more of a, a journalistic standpoint. And I'm not covering it as a fan. I'm covering it as an observer, you know, an objective observer. And I was covering it from more of an analytical standpoint. Now I'm looking at the matches and, <clears throat> and looking at how good the matches were, whether the fans were into it. This is where the analytical approach to wrestling for me came out. And the fandom of, the wins and losses were totally out the window. And that's been out the window anyway, probably. But I wasn't worried about as much as who won and who lost as far as, like, you know, who won and who lost. It was more like, was this the right outcome for the story that they're trying to tell? Or are they trying? To, are they getting the right person over? Or, you know, this and the third. Just, like, pretty much how we are now. That started in 2013, I would say. But now I was starting to get knee-deep into wrestling from a writing standpoint. And from there, if it goes into talking to wrestlers like you know talk about over the phone or in person going to shows and getting really deep into the business side of pro wrestling this is where i start you know getting in more into the business side so you know the different buildings who's running the buildings and how many seats this building have and all these little minutiae things that probably a lot of fans don't really care about but from a writing standpoint you got to care about these different things and um yeah, I really got into the nitty-gritty and the details of pro wrestling. So my fandom did change dramatically at that point from 2013 on until, I'll say, 2017 uh, when I left uh, Philly.com to work with the Eagles. But, um, yeah, I was knee-deep into it. I mean, I was covering stuff from, like, the very bottom level of wrestling all the way up to the top, obviously. And, yeah, I was just... I knew all the stuff that, like, I was kept up with all, a bunch of promotions, everybody, the comings and goings of all the talent, who was probably going to get signed here, who's going to probably get signed there. I mean, I was all the way in. And I was, and at, also at this point, too, is when I started really broadening my horizons about what I watched, too. 
I I didn't really follow New Japan Pro Wrestling until like 2013, 2014. And once I got into it, that's brought my rises to a whole new you know, wave of talent that was like Okada and Nakamura and guys of that nature, Finn Balor, you know, Prince David or guys like that. And then I was paying attention more to what was happening in Mexico, like the AAA or like you said, CMLL. Just paying attention to different things that was going on around the world now. And also, again, like I mentioned earlier, podcasts. Podcasts became huge. I started listening to podcasts a lot more, mostly because my job at Philly.com was working overnight. So I was in the office a lot of times by myself. So I listened to a couple podcasts. I listened to the Steve Austin podcast or whoever. And I'm hearing all these stories and hearing about all these people and all these promotions and all these different types of things and pairing that up with my actual conversations with a lot of wrestlers and whatnot. So it's just, I wasn't inundated with it. I was in, I was, what was the movie, In Too Deep? I was in. I wasn't, I wasn't in too deep, but I was in deep, pretty much. Uh, embedded, so to speak, in the wrestling business. I watched it. Raw was Monday. SmackDown was, what, what day SmackDown come on? Like 2013, 2014. Was it Thursday, Thursday at that Friday, point? maybe, still? I, and then, I, don't, I don't know. If, Thursday or Friday. <laughs> something like that. You know, then in 2016, it was on Tuesday, and then NXT started bubbling up. And no, oh, by the way, the WWE Network became a thing yeah. in 2014. And then, you know, I'm covering content that's on there, and it was just so much, a lot of business things, too. Like, there's a lot of business things. Like, when it came to the WWE Network, that was a lot. That was a big deal when I first started. And I was, you know, covering that from a business standpoint, how that was going to be, or promotions that started up were, you know, Global Force Wrestling, when I sprouted up and went away, or all the crap and stuff that was going on in Impact, at, you know, when they weren't being able to pay people all the time, and people were leaving, and all this and that, and trying to tell stories. There was so much I was doing at that point, making connections with people, going to these shows, meeting a bunch of people. It was just a lot. And there was a lot of stuff that, that happened from, okay, 2013 to 2017, from, again, interviewing people like Jim Ross, to Gabrielle Ortiz, who works for the mayor, while she was wrestling at the same time, that was big. That 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 hit front page news of both papers. It was the Daily News. So, yeah, a lot of different stuff. So my fandom went from again just a fan who a knowledgeable fan to I was I guess industry insider, so to speak. You know, <laughs> like I, I wasn't as deep as some other people out there because you know they do this twenty four seven, but. I was out here in these streets. <laughs> That's did. where I got it from. That's why I said it. I was out <laughs> here in these. I really was out here in these streets. Yeah, man. I, re- I remember. Uh, I think I followed you on Twitter uh, around that time because uh, I saw some of your uh, articles on Philly.com. I would go to Philly.com almost every day. Um, at that time, I was running BleedPhilly.com, which was BleedingBrotherlyLove.com before that, and. It's funny that you say like you kind of got back into it. The Rock kind of brought you back into it in 2013. Um, I got to say, between, so after my breakup that I alluded to earlier, I kind of stopped focusing on the collection aspect of uh, wrestling and started going to more shows. And I like how you put that. Like you kind of put a focus on going to more shows. But my, I I didn't go to like independent shows. I, I tried. Went to a couple CZW ones. I just that type of wrestling wasn't what I liked. You know, there, there's a certain thing about 
the presentation that I gravitated towards uh, when I was growing up with WWF and WCW. So I would go to like a Monday Night Raw, and we, I had a uh, a group of friends where, you know, my, my friend Chris used to work with CZW, now works with On Point Wrestling. He would text us in a group and be like, hey, like WWE's coming here, Raw's coming here, SmackDown's coming here, whatever date. And uh, he would, even when Bound for Glory came to Philly, I think he s- sent out a text. So it was like any kind of wrestling really that was more mainstream he would kind of put the text out like if you you know want to buy a ticket let me know so he would he would get them that's how i got my wrestlemania ticket to metlife stadium in wrestlemania 29 it was um that was my first wrestlemania too and like once i heard it was a metlife he heard it was a metlife he sent out the text so i had my my ticket well in advance uh i was like i'm not missing that at all so uh you know, I, that was what I was doing. I, my first Raw in years was when the Nexus beat up. I think it was Ricky Steamboat or one of the legends. Uh, I don't know if it's the one where they beat up Vince McMahon. I think that was another week. But that's, sure I was at that Ricky Steamboat show. Yes, yeah. Sure I was at that so show. it was the one in Philly, okay. I wasn't sure who they beat up, but I know that the Nexus was a thing at that point. So that was my first Raw back. I went to a few house shows around that time. I went, you know, SmackDown came, went to that. So I started going to more shows, kind of like you said, like you were going to more shows, but the shows that I was going to were, you know, WWE shows um, and house shows. So, you know, WrestleMania came, I went there, it was such a great experience. Uh, I remember a lot about that day and night. I actually went the night before, uh, slept in the hotel room because I had something that Saturday night. So I wound up going up late. I remember driving up there and I was on the highway and, you know, we were the only ones on the highway. It was like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. And uh, they were doing their light show. I guess they were testing their light shows in my life stadium. And I could see like the the lights going back and forth and the spotlights. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, this is why I'm a wrestling fan. Just like that visual. And I'll never forget that visual. And it just pulled me in even further. Um, and it wasn't until after that that I really concentrated on writing more about wrestling because, like you said, you kind of gravitate towards Twitter and you're like, wow, there's a whole community out there. And, you know, I would tweet about wrestling here and there, but I, it never really resonated. And then I was like, oh, well, I'll follow this guy. I'll follow that guy. I wound up following you and uh, following, like, your writing and, and all that. So I was like, maybe I could write about it. Like, I mean... You know, you kind of inspired me in a way, you know. So Bleed Philly, I started writing more. I I wanted to, I did want to attend more indie shows. It just didn't work out. I attended like a couple here and there, mostly CCW, like I said. Um, But I just wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. Like I wasn't a fan of it. I did write about it. I I would write results and stuff like that. Um, But there was nothing that I was like, hey, maybe like I can, be the official blog for CCW and maybe like I can get paid and stuff like that. So that never materialized. So after a while, I kind of backed, backed out of that type of thing. And I would just post any crazy things. I, I think I even posted on bleedphilly.com the night after Daniel Bryan turned on the Wyatt family in the steel cage. And just, it was like such a great raw moment. And I was like, one of the best moments in Monday night raw history happened last night. And I just wrote all about it. You know, so stuff like that is what I was focused on when I would write about it. 
And uh, I, I really think that, you know, we, we didn't really, like we, we went to shows and we were friendly, but we didn't really start until, I guess, 2015, either before or when we started this podcast, we would go to shows together. We were at a lot of the same shows though. Uh, Royal Rumble 2015, we both went to, that was in January. So that was like six months prior riding around the city together yeah the yeah yeah we went to jim Ross, the jim ross show before the royal rumble then we went to the wells fargo center and we hung out in the parking lot um so yeah like we were friends at, at that point um and then we and went then, to the after party well, that yeah we went to the after party at uh was it spike eskin well, like andrew that? goldstein was there i don't know andrew goldstein that, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're the same person right <laughs> shout out to yeah of course shout out to goldie though shout out to <laughs> yeah he's the man he's the man yeah, he he actually reached out to me not too long ago. So uh hope he's doing well up there. Uh, I guess he's still in New York. Um, but uh, yeah, he's an awesome dude. Uh, definitely uh, one of the good ones. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's again, that's that's what I'm talking about, like making connections with people. I'm right. Just randomly connected with Andrew Goldstein through yeah. wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. 2014, yeah. something like that. I, I remember. I remember it was before WrestleMania 30. And uh, I, and I remember bumping into him down in New Orleans for us. Yeah, I think you went to a didn't you go to a, wasn't a Ring of Honor show the night before the Royal Rumble? Yeah, twenty fifteen. So show, then, that's when he had his event. So you went there, but I didn't go to the Ring of Honor show. I just went to uh, the event. And while we were there, I remember Noel Foley and Dewey Foley showed up, and everyone yeah, was yeah, like yeah. cheering for him and stuff. So it was cool. You know, I didn't hang out too much longer. Um, after that, but it was just like a cool experience because the next yeah. day, you know, is when, you know, we went to JR's show and all that. And there, I think there was another show in there. Uh, and my, uh, it was just a lot. And it was the first time I was doing things like that. And I credit you for kind of, you know, you kind of like, if it wasn't for following you on Twitter, I probably wouldn't have known about these things because I was running my own blog and finding contacts for myself was kind of hard. So it wasn't until, you know, that that time where I was able to, you know, reach out via email to somebody or via phone to somebody. And that's when I was able to, you know, I applied to Philly Voice and I, I became their pro wrestling contributor and I would actually get interviews and stuff like that. So it was important to me. And, uh, you know, I, I credit you for kind of helping me in that regard. But, um you know, that's kind of where I got more inside the business than I was, you know, before. Otherwise, I would just like to write about it and not talk to anyone. But now I had the ability to talk to people and, and knowing how to do it, who to contact and all that. So I would be set up for interviews and stuff like that. And some of it was like inside stuff. Other times, you know, they were in character, which is, you know, whatever. I was doing an interview with a WWE champion, you know, it was kind of. You know, I, I sit back. I, I remember I was at work one time and I had to go to my car on my break so I could talk to them on the phone and record it <laughs> because that was the only time they were available. So, you know, these are the these are the things that, you know, I started doing and I was like, man, this is like really awesome. So um, I continued to do it th- through the years, uh, not so much recently, not only because of the coronavirus and, you know, some some personal things with my mother passing and stuff like that. But it's just, you know, I, I'm still kind of trying to figure out at this point where I want to go, what I want to do. Cause there's, there's a lot of opportunity out there. 
if I look for it and uh, I'm just kind of, you know, phillyinfluencer.com is good for, for, you know, wrestling stuff. Phillyvoice.com is good for this podcast, but I, I really want to sink my teeth into something maybe more wrestling related if that opportunity arrives. Keep grinding, man. Keep grinding. Yeah. Uh, it's always some some bound to come along in that in that respect. Almost forgot to mention though that I did write a bleach report in like 2011, 2012. Mm. I was doing, I was just spewing mark ass takes on there. <laughs> Why John Cena should embrace the hate oh. at WrestleMania and faces the rock. And you should turn, this, now is the time you should turn heel. Embrace uh, the hate. I love that. Hindsight, I would never want to read those stories ever again. <laughs> hey, I probably did a few too. It's you know. Th- things have evolved in just that short time. It's been what eight years, seven years, and there's so much has changed even s- since 2018, let alone 2013, 2012. So um, things are. I-, I probably wrote some things on BleedPhilly.com that were kind of just like what, what I-, I wouldn't go- want to go back and read. <laughs> just like those types of takes, like you know, like I'll I understand. This, I'll say this though: having this podcast definitely changed my fandom. From the standpoint that I got to get to express it more, right? Talk about it, yeah. And it's always fun to talk about wrestling with other wrestling fans. Yes. You or your brother Sawyer, who's also at that event, Capital before the World Rumble in 2015. Yeah, Sawyer went together. Yeah. Um, that's um, right. That's where. Yeah, that's right. Right. Or Brian Isley or Billy Max yeah. or whoever else we had on the show. Um, you know, just again cultivate the little community. You're Tommy Rowan, of course. Yeah, we um, went to the WIP studios because of this podcast to do a show with Turtle. You know, like that's exactly. cool. You know, it's cool. Like we wouldn't have been able to do that otherwise. Exactly. So, uh, so th- that changed everything. That changed a lot of things. But I say for me, and this is kind of getting to where I'm at now with wrestling. 2017, as I alluded to earlier, I started working for the Eagles. So I, I was out the business. I was out the game essentially. Like <laughs> for real. Other than Obviously, still doing this podcast, but from a day to day following it, like the ins and outs, the intricacies of wrestling, I just haven't because my job now is that's a day to day, everyday grind in itself. Um, so wrestling has taken a step back. It hasn't taken, it hasn't hit the back seat necessarily, but it's taken a step back from my shoot job, so to speak, and you know, for an NFL football team. But, damn insider terms. <laughs> <laughs> I shoot job, brother, you know. <laughs> uh, I'm not in the business no more. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just, I don't watch, I don't, because I don't have to anymore. I used to watch every show minute by minute. I used to watch oh, it man. all the way through. But now, I don't have to. And it's so liberating. Like, it's so <laughs> great. Because, man, from 2013, when I started reviewing wrestling shows, specifically Raw, because SmackDown was an afterthought for a long time. Yeah. It wasn't even worth reviewing a lot of time because it was just, honestly, until 2016, SmackDown was an afterthought, all right? Um, yeah, there were a lot of times uh, when I was doing it, the recap for Philly Voice, like, what am I even doing this? But, hey, they were right, paying me, just, so I'm like, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> but that was boring. Right, it was just <laughs> nothing important happened on there. Correct, a lot of the yeah. same matches that happened from Raw sometimes. It was just... But 2016, they made it a priority. And, of course, now, since it's on Fox, it's definitely a priority. Um, But, um, you know, reviewing those shows, it kind of, 
bogged me down with wrestling and like it, it, it was just rough because it it's constant it's every week and you know I was already at work a lot of times anyway so I would do it but it was rough man and like doing that every single week I, I feel for those guys uh, uh, who do still review these shows week in week out because Raw can be rough and these are yeah. different circumstances than normal but under normal circumstances it can be I would bad. think I would think sitting through three hours of Raw and, re- and recapping it as it was happening jaded me way more than anything else prior to that. Yeah, because no, I agree. I, w- it, I would have to make it a habit to make sure I was in front of my computer just be- and I would have to wake up at 5 a.m. for work. So I had to make sure it was done literally like as it went off the air, send it over. And it just became one of those things where it jaded me way more than a bad angle or a bad storyline would have prior to that. It became a job. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And then, and, and then on top of that, you're breaking things down segment by segment. Yep. You know, this is a good segment. This is a bad segment. It's like, I'm breaking down the minutiae and the very fine details of things that only people like us care about when you're that deep into it. Yeah. Where you stick when now after that, when I left, you know, com and I left kind of stop writing about pro wrestling, on a full-time basis, it's like, I, I didn't care about a lot of that stuff. <laughs> a lot of people don't care about a lot of that stuff, but I still, that's still part of me. I still think about it, but it's just, it is, it's much easier to digest when I don't have to watch it for three hours straight. Like, back then, I used to not watch Monday Night Football games a lot because I would watch Raw. And I guess, like I said earlier, I love football. <laughs> like, love it. And I couldn't watch Monday Night Football because I got to watch Raw and write this review. Man. <laughs> and it was a terrible, if it was a terrible show, I was upset about that. <laughs> but, you know, I got good clicks on Philly.com for it. So thank you, everybody. Click yeah. my stories. I appreciate all the support y'all gave me over on that blog called, wow, the Square Circle. Square so Circle blog. blog. Yeah. Square Circle blog. I remember that. <laughs> I almost forgot, man. It's a shame. But. Square Circle blog on Philly.com. That was that's where everything happened. That's where the magic happened, so to speak. But once I left, I, again, I became a semi-casual. I'm gonna say semi-casual, just not as a not as in deep and entrenched as I was before. I was still a hardcore diehard that knows more than the average person, so to speak, <laughs> um, and watches it differently than the average person. But you know, you take a step back, and then you see other things, how other things are going on. You kind of, you know kind of bring your head above water for a little bit and kind of see how other forms of entertainment are going. And you see how far behind wrestling is mm-hmm. when it comes to pop culture and what's cool in wrestling was cool in, in the world like 20 years ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, to be totally honest. And it's yeah. just like, man, you watch these other shows, these other movies, and it's like, man, this could be done so much better. There's so much better forms of entertainment out there than bad wrestling. It's like, y'all can't afford to be bad. Y'all can't afford to be cheesy. Y'all can't afford to be whack because I'll go watch something else that's ten times better than this. But I will say, as jaded as I can be, when wrestling is good, there's not much better, right? When wrestling is at its peak, when wrestling is at its best, the kid comes out of you again and it's like, wow, this is why I, I, I like this crazy thing to begin with. 
because of this. Whatever that was, <laughs> it's because of this. You know yeah, it's saying? like we always have to point it out now to people. It's like, this is why I'm a wrestling fan because everyone's like, why do you even like that stuff? It's like, this is why. We have, this, to, make sure, we have to make sure that we point it out. Right. Like, my, my girlfriend will tell you, it's like, I, I, she, she would like, she'll watch stuff with me and I'm just, I'm just kind of sitting there just watching it. I'm not like, like excited. I'm just like kind of just like hanging out watching it. And we'll talk about it and I'll tell her different things about it. But I'm just kind of just like watching it and it's, it, it could be enjoyable. It could be all right. But the kid, when I was younger, I would have been like, oh, oh, like, it, and or if, if I was working for Philly.com, I would just be watching it more intently. But now it's just like, huh, okay, yeah, that's cool. All right, let's change the channel. <laughs> like, let's go to something else for a little bit. We'll come back to it. Like, because I have that freedom now. So Yeah, I like watching it just because, um, you know, one of my favorite things to do on, on Twitter is post funny things. And if I see something funny, I want to be the, like one of the first ones to post it. Um, so I'll see if I, I, I watch. But uh, recently that kind of has gone out the window. I think the last really funny thing I posted was that brawl between Charlotte, Ronda Rousey, and Becky Lynch the week before the WrestleMania match. And I put the Benny Hill theme to it and sped it up a little bit. And that, you know, people kind of really love that video. Um, that's the type of stuff that I, I like to provide for, for content um, on my Twitter account to at least make people laugh and be like, hey, like I could do media things, hire me, somebody. And, uh, you know, now I'm just kind of on Twitter, just surfing Twitter during the, during the shows, and the shows aren't really giving me much to work with. <laughs> it's, uh, especially now, it's just tough because of the pandemic. Yeah. You know, it's tough to watch right now. We watch with, like, a high level of enthusiasm. But, um, you know, there's always like because we loved it since we were kids and following all these years. You just it's that party is like at some point it's going to happen again where it's going to be great. At some point, <laughs> waiting and waiting and waiting. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but <laughs> we're still. I don't stop us from waiting. You know, I, I kind of relate this to like Star Wars fans. People be like, y'all hate this so much, but y'all watch it, and talk about it all the time. Like, no, we actually talk about it and. We do this because we love it. That's actually that's the crazy thing. We love it because when it's good, it's the best. Yep. And I'm sure Star Wars fans can relate. Like when Star Wars was at its peak, when it was running hot, it was the best. And when you, regardless of whether you saw it in the 70s when it first came out, or when you saw it in the 90s and the early 2000s, where, or even in the 80s, where yeah, people really got into that fandom and they started getting the VHSs or the DVDs. It's like, yo, this is this is crazy. This is one of the best stories ever told. When it was at those first three came out, that feeling it gave you the first time you watched that original trilogy, and even still to this day, the, the, that heart it had, and, and that sense of wonder and grandeur and splendor and you know, fantasy and all that, that's a feeling that you're almost chasing. You're chasing that dragon again with these current movies. Some people, for some people, it ain't cutting it, but you know it's capable of that. You saw what it's potential like it could be this way but it's just not quite there that's how wrestling is for me right now where it's good it's not terrible you know in hindsight the attitude era wasn't all it's cracked up to be but there are other eras that was 
great. You know, 80s was great stuff. Or even, you know, just different pockets of history that was great. But we know, you know, this, this era is good, but we know what it can be. We've seen it at its peak. And that's when we love it. And we just still open and praying that it gets to that point again. So yeah, that's what's on fandom for you in a nutshell. And part, part of that allure that we loved was the unpredictability in a way. And when we see every single week the same type of formula and the same set and that type of thing, it kind of our, what, what can I say? Like our imagination can't run with you know the 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 things that they give us whereas when we were kids we, we were able to do that so i don't i don't know if it's necessarily because we're jaded now in, in a way that we can't let our imaginations run because i mean we can i mean there there are so many things that can be great that are just good and there's so many things that can be good that are just pure bad um and that's their fault it has nothing to do with us it's the writing it's the creative it's the execution it's everything so i just think that getting that back that that imagination the suspension of disbelief type of thing is not just a, a quality for a child to have like adults can have that too that's why adults love those franchises like star wars and any other movie franchise or TV series, that's why Hollywood exists. It's why TV exists. Wrestling's no different than a TV show, a scripted TV show. So, you know, I, I mean, they can bring us back whenever they want. <laughs> they can bring our our childlike wonder back, but they just they haven't done it for the longest time. They do at some point. I hope that's so. We love it. I hope so. But, you know, don't hold your breath, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta hold your breath. But, um, so yeah, uh, speaking of some great wrestling stuff that, you know, really gets us into the reason why we like this stuff, how about we live commentate Rick Flair versus Ricky Steamboat, the mm. finale of this epic trilogy they had in 1989. Is that good for you, Nick? That sounds great. I don't know what timestamp you had that, but uh, I can meet you there. One hour, eighteen minutes, and five seconds. So that's o one one eight o five. I am right there with you, sir. Sweet. And for those who are listening, out there, if you're still hanging with us, that a long one here on the straight shoot. Yeah, man, two in a row. Than Longer than I usual, but look, we got a lot to talk about. Yeah. Uh, with these crazy terrible things going on in wrestling whether it's covid or uh predators just bad people overall and we had to address that and talk about a wrestling fandom which you know it's a good conversation too it's a good conversation I, you should have I think, with your, your friends as well yeah i think that um you know there's other podcasts out there that talk about the old stuff uh and not i don't necessarily listen to them but i've heard of them and i'm sure that they're great podcasts and uh but i could talk about like old wrestling all day like especially right. when i was growing up especially in the 90s um we could talk about something new like every single week and fill up like three hours or something like that so um definitely if you know we if there's a week where there's not much happening 
taking a trip down memory lane is such a cool thing to do. Right, but in this case, we kind of did talk about doing this for the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So we're going to finish it. That's so right. Now, you'll have to for the next couple of weeks <laughs> do Mr. Flair versus Steamboat. Um, didn't know this is not the main event of this show, by the way. Right. Uh, just according to Wikipedia, it was a six-minute and six-minute match between the World of Warriors and the uh, Varsity Club. I wonder if like, we started a Twitch huh. channel watching old stuff, if people would be into that. Maybe. Who knows? That'd hmm. be interesting. Hmm. But uh, let's get this started while, you know, while hmm. I'm awake to do it and not falling asleep. <laughs> it's getting late here on Thursday night. That's right. The 25th. Uh, 20, are you ready? 20. I am ready. All right, let's do it in three, two, one, hit. All right. All right. Rick Flair's got his this theme. They're coming out now. Hey, they got fireworks. Turn my sound down later. I got mine lower. They're coming out with another group of women. Three this time. I don't remember how many it was last yeah. time. But there's also women lining his About four. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Jim Ross had 40. He said 40. Is he being... 40 women. Is he being uh, sarcastic? Or did he say four? Oh, did he make a euphemism? Four D ladies? Oh, wait. No, yeah. There's... Okay. That's, That's probably 40. But why? Is this a lumberjack match? Because he's with <laughs> <laughs> Flair, man. And if he didn't know, he gets the ladies. This would be he the type the of thing we'd kill WWE for today if there was no pandemic. Be like, what are, why waste the money on all these ladies accompanying somebody to the I mean, ring? If it enhances the character, I'm all for it. It enhanced Nature Boy. Did it? I think so. They're in the stands. What are they? <laughs> well, there's so many of them. <laughs> you know, they can't fit around ringside. Uh, already not a fan of this one. Okay. I have not I've not seen the build up to this before. I've just seen the match. It's probably on one of the Ricky Steamboat, uh, the Hall of Fame or the Ric Flair collection DVDs that there are a hundred of or something. By the way, this took place at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium. In Nashville, Tennessee. I guess they didn't have like a big arena yet because this mm. the attendance for this show was fifty two hundred. Oh wow! Steamboat coming out with a horse and his kid on a horse. That feels dangerous <sighs> with the horse with all those lights and stuff like that. That wasn't sensory overload for that horse. I guess that's that. why they have. Uh... Well, I mean, you definitely kind of go like, why would you just for the entrance? I thought WWF was bad back in the day, but this is kind of lame too, <laughs> on both sides. Steamboat, of course, the family man. You didn't know. Yeah. He comes out with his wife and kid to the ring. No one else did this back then. No one like in boxing or any other sport. <laughs> his kid's dressed as Elvis. <laughs> That's cute, actually. Guitar. <laughs> With her wife and kids and stuff like that. Meanwhile, Flair's got 40 women with him. <laughs> yeah, like, I guess that's supposed to intimidate Steamboat. 
it's just reinforcing the fact that Claire is the womanizer and Steamboat is the family man. <laughs> yeah, like, I guess, yeah. Gary Michael Capetta. Oh, yeah. GMC. Distinguished judges. Yeah. I don't think they're very distinguished. Fucker. Yeah, who? he looks different than the others. He's not wearing a tie. No other three individuals more qualified. Terry Funk looks young there. <laughs> oh. Hi. The Lewis has press. That O'Connor, Luthez, and Terry Funk. Wow. Hmm. Where's Roman Reigns at, damn it? Distinguished brothers that held that world title, he said, right? Because Corey so. and Terry were both. Who's the other set of brothers there? Um, Unless he said, I don't know. Maybe I heard that wrong. I'm not going to want to bat. Me neither. Monarchs? <laughs> no? Uh, both of them. Terry, but I don't think uh, David. David. David was David Flip. David Von Eric, I believe, was supposed to mm. win it before him. Tragically passed away. I know Jack Briscoe won a title. I don't think Jerry Briscoe won a title. Yeah. I could be wrong. Well, the good thing about the straight shooters is we never say that we're always right about everything. <laughs> no. That would just be stupid. Correct. We're right about a lot, but not everything. Luthez's uh-huh. <laughs> last world title came in 1957. Wow. World title win, I should say. That's 32 years before this match. Right. Whew. Oh, take that back. He won it in 1963. My uh, bad. <laughs> that was still like 20-some years, 26 years. Yeah, yeah. Oof. It's a long time. Tommy Rich won the NWA World Title in '81. Twenty-six years ago. To now we were building to the Undertaker versus Undertaker. SummerSlam '94. Owen Hart be King of the Ring this month. I can do math. Happy about that. Definitely. I got a job doing stats somewhere because my math is on point. There you go. <laughs> I've done stats before for uh, like football games or for mm-hmm. the soul. Yeah. Doing like uh, stats for like the announcers and stuff like that, or for the game stats too, because I would do like the, <laughs> I would write down a play by play. Like they had like a computer that were like they could input the information into the computer. That's how yeah. stats are done. For those who don't know. <laughs> Football games, yeah, I guess basketball games too, wherever game. There's like some software that some statisticians can type in what happened 
during the play, and I would sit there next to the guy and write the result, the outcome of the play on paper. Wow. So in case he got, in case he was behind, I could recite to him what happened. In his play. Oh man, that is like so, pressure driven. I think. Huh? That's it. Feels like a lot of pressure. It's not really. It's it's really simple. It's just, you know, twenty. Let's say it's twenty three. You know, let's say if it's an Eagles play, it's Miles Sanders run. He runs for seven yards. And yeah. They know the ball's at the forty five yard line already. It's already inputted. So you put twenty six run. You know, tackle by fifty four. And you don't have to tabulate anything. Just put the results in. As far as I can, can tell, put the results in. Mm, gotcha. And it tabulates for you. So the math would be done automatically. I would assume so. Who wants to do that math manually? Mm. Which also that's I had why, to that, do. That's why sometimes you, there's a yard or two discrepancy in some of the things we see on NFL games, I think. maybe. Yeah, that might happen sometimes. Like a 61-yard field goal, but... Then the overlay says like sixty yards field goal or something like that. Well, it's Eagle Flair going right after, right away. Yeah. This is pretty cool already. But doing your own stats all by yourself, I did that when I covered high school football games. When mm. I was in college, I covered high school football games when I was in, at IUP for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, covered Indiana football, Indiana high school football, and doing added provide score by quarter. All the top plays and the offensive leads. I didn't keep track of tackles. Thank goodness, because that <laughs> that would have sucked. But like keeping track of like individual stats and like maybe a team stat here and there, uh, that's not easy, bro. Especially when you're on a deadline <laughs> that's like maybe an hour or fifteen minute after kickoff. I mean, after the final gun, it's just like ooh, like yeah. I would sit at halftime, wouldn't do anything but tabulate the halftime stats because if you tabulate those all those stats after the game. You're going to miss the deadline. So uh, that deadline was super strict. Uh, they'd be calling me. And if, I, if, I'm, if I was close to it, they'd be like, oh, where's it at? Where's it at? Because it's a newspaper, so they got to mm-hmm. hit that deadline. But, um, yeah, tabulate stats. Not fun for high school. <laughs> That's the reason why you have a lot of discrepancies <laughs> in high school in particular because they're not using software all the time. Mm. It's just a writer doing his own stats. So, stats are fun. <laughs> a fun story about stats. So, where the wait Eagles a second, games. a fun story about stats? Oh yeah, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> uh, trust me. Um, at the Eagles games, at every play, there's a guy in the press box that has a microphone that's mm-hmm. only into the press box. So it's not like it's a loud the, the right. PA announcer. It's a different person. This guy's okay. only in the press box, and he says. You know, run by, you know, passed right. by Carson Wentz to got Dallas Goddard for, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right, touchdown or whatever, right. Um, so it's a run by Miles Sanders. <laughs> and he would say, you know, Miles Sanders would run, tackle by so-and-so, uh, third down and two, something like that, whatever. He would say that, you know, and they would go over through the last week because other riders would hear it. And there's one time he was like, Run by Miles Davis. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole press box is died laughing. It was kind of funny. Even he was laughing. He's like, oh, <laughs> not Miles Davis. Miles Sanders. So that was good. Well, I don't know if that's a stats story. It was. He's, he's, he's with the stats people. So they're relaying information to him as oh, okay. well. I got, okay. So they're, you know, there's a guy. So stats can be fun, is what you're saying. It can be, yeah. Okay. He's a guy up there with binoculars. He's looking. He's keeping track of everything. Right. He lays it to the stats guy. 
he yells it out. You know, oh, 26 in the backfield. Okay, handoff. 26. And it goes to, like, you know, tackle by 54. All right, boom. And, you know. And then once he once it's relayed, got that mission, he can announce it out to the... I mean, it's necessary, I guess. But it's also, you can see it happening. So it's not mm-hmm. like it's like... Yeah. I don't know. It's a thing, though. It's a thing that's I, done. I would work uh, the high school football games, and uh, I'd be on the chain gang on the, on the field. Oh, yeah. And we had a PA announcer, and he would just love to... He used his announcer voice and all this stuff, and he'd be like, tackle by number 28. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it would just be, like, the funniest thing. And uh, Tackle by. Some, like, he had a spotter, you know, near him, so that would relay him info and all that, what numbers oh, yeah, and whatever. Yeah. And So he, if he would mess up the number or something like that, he would correct himself and be like, there's an, a correction. <laughs> and he would just, he would sound so bad. But then he would introduce me as part of the chain gang, so everything was okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I've never heard a chain gang get introduced ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never yeah. at he, any game at any level. So he was the head baseball coach. chain gang. Well, he was the head baseball coach, and two of us were uh, oh, helping okay. him out with baseball in the spring. So he would so he would throw us a solid and introduce uh, all four <laughs> of us. Throw us a solid. <laughs> we were we were all friends though, so it was kind of fun. Said I got you over the real world, the ladies. <laughs> That's right. I was on uh, before they made it, and uh, maybe it was NBC Sports Philadelphia Plus, but it was uh, the Comcast network before that. And one of our games yeah. was on there, and I had to come out uh, in the fourth. I think it was the fourth quarter for a measurement, and uh, oh, could see man. me on TV. Moment in the sun. Could see me on TV. I think I screen capped it too. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm it was a cold time. night that night. I heard the ref- maybe the referees will get announced. Um, you know, oh, officiating tonight's game is so and so, something yeah, like yeah. that. But <laughs> never in life the chain game. <laughs> every so, every know. home game, man, loved it. My my it's time to shine. Piece. The best part was being on the opposing sideline, and uh, <laughs> we would hear like all the crap they would talk, and it would just be funny. No way to relay info. Don't worry. There was no no. Stop sign stealing or anything like that, but otherwise our team would have won all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was that was fun for the couple years I did that. By the way, Jim Ross and Bob Cottle on the call for this match. After it was second match was Jim Ross and Terry Funk. In the first match, Big Bear, well, Bobby Flair there. Uh, the first <laughs> match was Jim Ross and Magnum TA. Hmm. Jim Ross, three different partners, so three epic matches here. The How same three people in the ring, which is interesting. It's always Flair, Steamboat, and of course the referee being Tommy Young. How about that? How about that? You noticed that before I did. Good, good eye. Thank you. Also, the, the concept of the judges... What the hell are they going to judge for wrestling? Like, no R- Ricky Steamboat's getting, like, two points right now for a submission there's attempt. There's no point system. I mean, like, <laughs> boxing where you can award points in this round. So you say, oh, it's a 10-9 or 10-8 round or whatever. You deduct points. None of that. There's no scorecard. What the hell? And I get it. They didn't want to have the controversy of the second match. And that, you know, right, Flair's right, foot yeah. under the rope. And yeah. Steamboat's shoulder shoulders was down. 
but there's no just still doesn't make any sense from the standpoint of like the point system in wrestling unless you made it like a cage match where it's like okay there's got to be a winner right i guess the standpoint of they're trying to make it like more of a sport so you add judges Mm -hmm. and it also obviously played into having funk you know shoot an angle and flare but I, I just didn't understand. TNA even had judges uh, for something back in the day. I don't know why. I guess if you tell me, steamboat back. Like you're not going to disqualify just, him for jumping off the top rope on the outside, are you? It's too dangerous, man. You know, Jimmy Corderas can be nowadays. Biased. I just have it. Jimmy Corderas could be biased on Twitter here and there, but uh, I do appreciate following him. And he made a good point. I think there was a, a match on Dynamite last night with, uh, or maybe not a match, but it was the Lucha Bros coming back and fighting with uh, the Revival in the middle of the ring. And the referee was in the middle trying to break it up. <laughs> it's like... Jimmy Corderas was like, just stay out of the way. Like, let them have the spotlight. Why are you, you're like basically still in the spotlight by making yourself part of that. So he, may, he makes a good point. A lot of referees, and I don't want to say WWE because I don't really notice it that much, but I have noticed in AEW, the referees are involved in a lot of things that they don't need to be involved in. So if you want to make it seem more names? of a, huh? At least they say their names. I don't. I don't understand why WWE doesn't yeah. say their names anymore. In every sporting event, you know the head or yeah. official or the referee's name. I, yeah, like, I don't understand why they don't do it in WWE. Yeah, it's you stupid. Know, you watch a, an MMA fight. You watch a boxing match. You know the official. You know the referee's mm-hmm. name. Yeah. You watch a football game. They put up a graphic with the official's names. A basketball game, same thing. Umpires in baseball, you know who they are. But in, in WWE, it's just like ah. <laughs> Put these guys over. It's like you're not putting them over. You're just announcing who they are because that's what happens in every sporting event in the world. <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever watched a sporting event that's a professional sport where they don't put up at least a graphic of who the officials are. I guess they just don't think it's important. It's stupid. <laughs> There's credibility to your whole production yeah, to me. It does. I know it who does. the official is. Yeah, we know this is Tommy Young. Yeah, like, why is he so close? Look, come on. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely see that point from Jimmy Corderas. It's like, you don't have to be so demonstrative with everything you do. And you're a referee, like, you're you're part of it, but don't make yourself the center of it. Or even on an even keel with the wrestlers, that's not your job. So it kind of stopped us away in a way from I can, I can what's see going that on point. in the not, ring. Not even keel, you're not on even footing, but I mean the referee can have a, a, a presence of sorts. But it wasn't even like in so, a match; it was after the match, so, and they were just brawling, it, like trading hands in the ring. It wasn't even like a brawl, brawl. They were just punching each other back and forth, and he was like, ah, "Stop it!" <laughs> just like right here, Flair shoves back Tom Young, and Tom Young gets a little look. <laughs> it's like, all right, Flair, I'm going to let you slot with that one, but I don't like that. Like, that yeah. can build up later on. It, he's he's an official. He, he's he respected he authority. Just, he just, right. Smacked his arm. Like, he's getting physical. He, he ain't afraid. 
<laughs> they're, they're there to, to to maintain order in the ring. Make Man, sure it's there's not a brawl. There, it's not chaos. No, he was breaking rules there. You got to enforce. Where's he at now? Come on. <laughs> I guess they're both on the ropes. Get him away from the ropes. Come on. Now, now he's running away. <laughs> you got to pick one, Tommy. Let him fight or disqualify both of them. Ah, see, that was through the middle rope. <laughs> he just came right back in and came chops right him. That's hilarious. There goes Tommy. Yeah, on the outside. Disqualify him. He won't. <laughs> oh! Ow! <laughs> <laughs> Thought he was gonna pull out like breath knuckles or something. That's not a low blow. Hit him like right. No, it was in the stomach. Oh, that looked like the uh, the family jewels there. <laughs> that should uh, See, isn't that a DQ? What's this rest? What's this fan doing? Hold up! <laughs> Yo, yo, bitch. <laughs> like, get the hell off him. Hold up, security. <laughs> Can y'all come over and, like, stop having this lady in, a, in the ugly sweatshirt? Shut my guy. Why isn't she getting him into the ring? Why is she, go is go she getting far. dragged out of the arena right now <laughs> by security? Lady. I love how that was a judgment call by the referee. Somehow, Ric Flair wasn't disqualified. <laughs> he literally <laughs> threw him over. There's nothing judgment about it. Where's that lady now? Did I hear right there? No, I don't think so. She had glasses, I think. Right? You're right. No, she did. Must be all the way out. Probably ran from the other side of the road. (laughs) She's by the entrance. Like, what? (laughs) Like how the lady tried to... There she is. There's that criminal. (laughs) There's the culprit. Security, what are Yo, y'all he, doing? He definitely found her out. He definitely found where she was sitting. It's like, I gotta they go over there. <laughs> she could be doing anything to this guy. I didn't say he's a baby <laughs> face. He's probably not, but. What if she had like scissors and started cutting his hair? Like, what the hell? Could have been anything. Yeah. Ooh. Probably when the camera wasn't Ooh. on him, he was like, Lady, you gotta stay in your seat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Flair's just turned around. Yeah. <laughs> That was great. Forget that this. Was, that was legit. He he reached for him and he was nowhere to be found. Uh-oh. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> Did he spit before he fell? <laughs> Probably. That, that was bump funny. was so hilarious. I will never not laugh at that bump. Yeah. Uh, oh! <laughs> peep, peep. <laughs> where is the, some of the thing he goes through that over that turnbuckle and tries to run across. Like, where yeah. is he going? Yeah. <laughs> where did he go? <laughs> I swear, people are like, oh, wrestling was so good back in the day. It's still just, it's always been as circusy and corny as ever. It's just, it just cracks me up. Like, yeah. where is I love it, though. I love it. Probably going to the other corner to try and a double axe handle off the top. To get tossed <laughs> off the top rope for the 348,000 times. Exactly. Tommy's like saying, "Stay in the ring." Like, man, he can 
control if Flair leaves the ring. Come on, man. Those new thes, right down <laughs> yeah, his notes. random gibberish. <laughs> He's making his grocery list. Sure is hot in here. Man, I'm sure. I wish somebody give me a hot dog. Oh. Because oh. there's no points in this. What the hell? Where's that lady again? Just gonna shove him. I like how that is like unintentional of course because he went for the dive and flew but when Flair throw, literally throws him over the top rope that's not on purpose <laughs> and it's just funny because your boss is like it's a judgment call by the referees like, okay whatever they don't do that slingshot move enough in wrestling anymore where you pull the rope and the guy just jumps over the top rope <laughs> in a ridiculous manner it's a stupid move that, I mean, that's the reason why they don't do it anymore. It's really mm, dumb. Yeah. But I think it'd be funny if somebody brought it back. Because they used to do it all the time in wrestling. You just somebody jerk the ropes well, now, and the like, person goes flying into the ring. Yeah, Whoa! Now, <laughs> now when they do it, they land on their feet and go, like, run the ropes. Ooh, <laughs> that'd be dope, actually. To yeah. do it over the rope and, like, do a hurricane rana or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. That'd be so wrestling 20 in 2020. <laughs> You know, it's so probably already happening. The on, it's probably already happened on two hundred five live or AW Dark. Two shows I do not watch one minute of. Not on purpose. I just forget about them. What the hell? What the hell happened to Tommy Young? <laughs> Did Flair like knock him back or something? I like don't that. know. Maybe. <laughs> Look at him, he's trying to put his shoulder back down. That's great. Like I said last week, this is stuff we don't see today. Right. Try and pin him more than once instead of just looking shocked for 30 seconds while they don't move. Like, come on. They love that shock face shot, though. Yeah. That's a thing that's heavy in wrestling. Nowadays, like, oh my god, it kicked but out that, of my finish for the third time. But that's the thing, I don't mind it. It's just go for the pin again, then. You know, you could be shocked for 10 seconds, I guess, because you're like, Which oh my how god, many times, go, how many for times the, wrestlers, go for the pin. <laughs> how many times do wrestlers have their finish kicked out of 2020? I don't know why they're surprised. Yeah, true. It lost its luster a long time ago. Pearl River plunge time. A modified Pearl River plunge. <laughs> modified Pearl River plunge. I love Jim Ross would always say that. A yeah, modified, modified whatever it is. <laughs> that's what we don't hear enough of nowadays. If someone messes up a move. Like, oh, that's a modif modified powerbomb. A, a modified punch. <laughs> he meant to punch him and he missed it's oh modified. here we go Tommy versus Rick oh and oh. oh man Flair looks 
That sounded like the face here. He's why is he still pinning him? Like, come on, Rick. <laughs> oh, see, that's good. That is awesome. Arguing with the ref when choking Steamboat with his leg. Classic. What a chop! <laughs> the judges already handed in their decisions? That doesn't make sense. He said he already made a decision? I don't oh, know if that's what he said or... This is hard to track. Maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like having a hard time. It's too yeah, late. Judges. <laughs> Pat O'Connor's taking a look. He's writing down a scorecard. Like that's that's a seven point move right there. Oh, there's rounds of voting. What? That's stupid. Split decision for Flair. Four votes for Steamboat and three for Flair. What the hell? Uh, it's on rounds. What? Yeah, that's what Jim Ross just said. I have no clue. So this is why we don't know what the rules are <laughs> or the point system. Nope. The voting. Who looks better? Yeah, everyone getting hyped for that near fall. Steamboat. Oh, uh, never mind. Uh, DQ both of them. <laughs> Four to two. What exactly? <laughs> they had a fan touch Steamboat, so they gave him the edge. Oh, okay. This is a damn good match, though. It's just yeah. the judging is like, what? It's an extra layer that's probably unnecessary, but again, there, there wasn't means to an end, so I'll yeah. give it that much. Whoa! Damn. Player, like, we're halfway across the ring on that one. <laughs> Their rings were small as hell, too. I think that's small. They were, what, 18 by 18? Man, they were, compared to the WWF rings, they were small. WWE, 20 by 20. Well, the, this one might actually be bigger. The ones that WCW had um, in, like, 96, 97, 98, they were real small. I don't think WCW used anything smaller than 16 by 16. Yeah, that that just looks so much smaller compared to WWF. When I really like was watching old Nitro episodes, I was like, "Damn, that ring is small." <laughs> Especially when you know you're doing the Irish whips and stuff like that, and it's just weird looking to me. Pokes to the eye. Can't DQ him. Come on, ref. 
Oh, man. This is Achilles' heel is back. Did that earn Steve go to point at Superflex? <laughs> you would think so. Uh-oh. Oh, we got speed moves. Mm, lucky. Flair's in deep trouble. <laughs> Flair's stumbling over again. Oh! Oh! Oh, jeez. It's messed up. Is that photographer? Was that Bill After? Not Bill After After. That's Bill after right there. The one that the photographer that just knelt yeah. down. Knelt, knelt down. Mm. Sure. <laughs> I think that's how you say it. Uh oh, they're setting up his fail, his failure with that knee injury, aren't they? Is he going to pass out from the pain in the figure four? Honestly, I don't remember how the match ends. So if I, if that is how it ends, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> right. I, haven't, I haven't watched this since his first DVD set, the Ultimate Ric Flair Collection. <laughs> I believe this was on there. It was on one of them. Yeah, like I said. <laughs> Was the ultimate, another one was a penultimate, the one that was the, the, the definitive. <laughs> yeah, the definitive. The only... It's like, come on. Oh, that just looks like it hurts when you're pulling your leg like that. Rip it off. Pull out the socket. Uh oh. Oh, the center of the ring. He's done. Right, the fans are definitely into Flair. Yeah. It's just, I miss so much with, with reactions during matches. They're just so silent now. Dynamite's crowds are pretty good, but every WWE crowd is just silent until the end. That's what it feels like, at least. And that's their own fault. <laughs> I don't blame the fans. Now, there's some things you can blame fans for and other things you don't. If the stupid chance or one thing you can blame them for. <laughs> <laughs> You'll hear anybody saying, fight forever. With this one. <laughs> fight forever. 
what still the, got uh, it. There was a, I turned away for a split second. I'm like, why is Tommy on, like, undoing the figure four, not realizing Rick Acebo was at the ropes? <laughs> I was like, how's that fair? I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Not fair. Not fair to wear, man. No. What is it? <laughs> what is he doing? And then I thought Flair was just gonna put it back. <laughs> that was hilarious. I guess he wasn't allowed to have his leg in that from the ropes. <laughs> the end. Karate game. kick. Jim Ross called it a karate kick. Did he? <laughs> I missed that one. I was too busy yelling, Enziguri! <laughs> oh! Wow, that's how they ended? <laughs> Sixth time in 1989. It was Hulk on his second reign by that point. Oh, that was random and quick. Ricky Sebo yeah. raising his hand and he's a good guy, leaving. So he's, he's being nice, you know. That's just weird, though. Being a, being a good sport. Fireworks going on. So I guess. They never really thought about putting the title on Steamboat for an extended run because he had just won it in February. Then they had that second match. Just another excuse for another title reign, a la Triple H. Funker. Well, you were not. Jim Ross already did. Yeah. He said, get the hell out. Yeah. Thank you very much. Let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Jim Ross is the heel right now. Get him, Terry. <laughs> oh, boy. Terry is offended by that. <laughs> You're not in the top 10, dude. Sorry. 
get the hell out of my room. Oh. Is it Rock Rocky? Is that over the top or something like that? I have a feeling you're going to look it up. Five years in Hollywood. Paradise Hour. Ric Flair is giving him the business. Yeah, it was Paradise Alley. Oh, wow. That came out in 1978. This can't be the only one. <laughs> Wait a second. This is like 89. Maybe he was an extra right, in the Rocky his or he, yeah. he was in All right, he was in Paradise Alley in 1978. And he was also the stunt coordinator in that movie, apparently, according to Wikipedia. Oh, big punch by Terry oh, Funk. Oh, you Things are breaking down. Son of a bitch. Terry Funk was also in Over the Top, like I speculated. Yeah. Speculated. God, he was also in Roadhouse in 89. So, he's, uh. so yeah, he's in the multiple movies. So I, I, I guess they weren't in movies together. It was just... Uh, no, he did. I mean, he did. Stallone what? was in Paradise Alley. And he was in Stallone was in Over the Top. But 89, it was probably a Rocky movie or something, and so Terry Funk was probably in a movie, and Rocky was probably popular, so maybe they were, he was insinuating right. instead of being in the scene. What is he doing? Roadhouse is coming out around this time. So. Okay. Terry Funk. You spotless stealing son of a bitch. Oh, here we go. Is this the first table spot in American wrestling history, man? <laughs> might be. I don't know. This was wild for 89, though. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine what I would be reacting to if I was watching this live. I would have been like, oh my god! Up oh, just like Jim Ross. Oh! Ric Flair tried to help him out. Ooh. Oh, damn, dude. Car dragged him on top. <laughs> he falls <laughs> off the table. <laughs> Greatest spot ever. Did they think that was going to break? <laughs> I mean, for 89, this was like a chaotic scene. Yeah. Flair's down there holding his neck. He's like, my neck is broken. My neck and my back hits him with my... a chair. <laughs> my goodness. Flair's like, my neck, my back? <laughs> <laughs> my neck and my back, ow. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you about the fighting fans now. <laughs> yes. The cops like, come on, come on, it's fake. Relax. <laughs> Grabs Jim Ross. I mean, to be to be fair, they kind of disrespect him a little bit. No, 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 no. Yeah, Terry Funk just, just wants to come in. He just wants to come in and challenge for the title when he's not hasn't even been wrestling. He's not even he's in the like, top no, ten. Man. Get the hell out of here, oh, man! You've been doing movies. Yeah, that ain't just that's, spit, earn it. that's spitting truth. I would have whooped his ass too. <laughs> Take this power driver through the table. Sucker punching son of a bitch. <laughs> All right, that's I hilarious. Funk is still out here threatening to punch people. This is a long show, man. This is a pay per view, right? Oh, yeah, Russell Warrior, yeah. Come on, yeah. our show. Oh. Straight shooters, 240. 
Long episode. 239 and 240 will go down in Shooter's history. Yeah. Longest shows ever. But they're worth it. And on that note, Nick, take us out with some plugs. You can follow me at Nick Bacone on Twitter and my funny videos. If you haven't seen my Ronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch video set to Benny uh, Hill, it's hilarious. So go check that out. And you can follow us at Shooters Radio on Twitter. We're on Facebook on facebook.com slash Shooters Radio. And you could catch this podcast at ShootersRadio.com and PhillyInfluencer.com and PhillyVoice.com. Um, that's just those are just a couple of the places you can just find websites all over the internet. just a couple websites but we're also all over your podcast apps uh, so make sure to rate review subscribe to us on there uh, of course shootersradio.com patreon.com slash shootersradio subscribe to some exclusive content for the small fee of $1.99 I'm at Vaughn M. Johnson on Twitter you can find me on there if you don't find me on there you can find me out here in these streets well not really Maybe a little bit more because we're entering the green phase here in Philadelphia. But uh, but not much. Not nearly as much as I was before the pandemic, obviously. But for a long episode 240, we're going to wrap it up here on this very long episode. So for Nick McCone, I'm Vaughn Johnson. Thanks for listening to episode 240 of the Straight Shooters. And we'll catch you all again next week. Peace.